0: The Koi Gig part.
1: We we're too quick to drop off 3v1. That's been a problem. That we actually stopped against Scotland because Ni stepped in to stop Caroline Weir.
2: Subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now.
3: OTB
4: AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with Exfoliating Bar. All right, it's half past seven and it's 2023. Uh, a very happy new year to all of you and I hope you all had a good time. This is our first day back as a, a group. Shane, how are you?
5: Good morning and happy new year to all. You're alive? Just just about, hanging in there. Yeah. Uh,
4: what's the Monaghan new
5: year like? Well, we were, we were making jokes in a couple of our uh, pre-Christmas shows about, you know, me being potentially kicked out of the house from all the, the nights out and, Close enough to the truth. It they've, happened uh, in the end, yeah. <laughs> uh, they've kept me back to Dublin, so here I am. But uh, yeah, I had a busy one, uh, plenty of nights out, and January is going to be decidedly dry, I would say, for me.
4: Were you queuing at midnight on Christmas Day?
5: Didn't go in. You know what, I, I, that was the one night I was mature. I decided, you know what, for one night I'll, uh, I'll, I'll be an adult here and I'm not go into town. So, uh, no, I was wise. There, I had plenty of other nights out, let me tell you, but uh, here we are, starting to recuperate, and the body is back to normal. The body's crying, actually.
4: I was just looking back at my sleeps. That's four and a half hours sleep last night because it's always difficult the first night you're back. Uh, And uh, the only good night's sleep I had over the whole of Christmas was the ten and a half hours I got by going to bed at half nine on Christmas Day. (sighs) The day was done. I've seen enough. Half nine on Christmas Day? My work is finished in the evening, yeah. I was in bed at half nine. That's uh, It was great. That's (laughs)
5: impressive. That's that's remarkable. I was
4: not queuing outside a nightclub uh, waiting, banging on the doors to open as in as in falling asleep on the couch at half nine or five. no f- no well, straight to bed like well, you, you, you reach a point where you're like i could i could just i could just do an irish goodbye here in my own gaff yeah that's impressive and uh, that was the only good night's sleep i had over the whole period oh. i couldn't sleep last night either i think the body's going to take a while
5: to to get back onto it. Do you feel it's like a christmas jet lag where the body's like nah, nah you're not going to sleep just yet uh, new year's eve was a very very late one for me you see so uh, the body is, is slowly going to recuperate. I think as each day into January. What does, what does that
4: mean? I presume that means five or six in the morning. Uh, yeah. Really? Like say the least. Yeah. yeah. Oh, to say the least, kept going. Yeah. You'd roll over.
5: Uh, we didn't even have a roller. No. We, we didn't. We weren't even drinking. We we're just sitting up talking, talking crap and having fun. And um, the drinking kind of stopped reasonably early, but just you know, when, you know, when you lose track of time completely, uh, that's that's what happened essentially on New Year's Eve. So but we, but we had a lot of fun
4: there, and uh, the viewers and listeners are, are living vicariously them even curiously silent for you I know
6: <laughs> you talk
4: to it. Uh, happy new year Jer.
6: happy new year Shane. happy new year to everyone out there I say last night was um, is the worst night of the year for sleep collectively you, you, you just can't sleep but, it's, like, it's, it's the worst fear
5: this is the Monday it's Tuesday the worst ever. fear
6: and, but that, I mean, that's the only good thing about this week it's Tuesday already you know yeah. um, also it feels extremely early to be back the 3rd of January mm. I feel it, it, this should be a 5th or 6th job um, but look, it's great to have everyone back,
5: and we have a great show today. I feel like we're not alone. I actually, I drove up from Monaghan this morning, as opposed to staying in Dublin. Huh? But the traffic was there was a there's people moving. There's people on the roads this morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they were they were there thereabouts.
6: We have everyone uh, in here, even well, actually, everybody's there's a small, back. slow, steady. Yeah. There's usually kind of a st- gradual return to normality, and I feel like next Monday would be the proper return. No, everybody's but back. Everyone's
4: here, like yeah. The schools and schools stuff, are so. back on Thursday. So it's Thursday. Yeah, are they
5: right? Yeah, yeah, it
6: is, yeah. Yeah, I found that out through a guest last night, a potential guest. Yeah, yeah,
4: it's so gonna be it's gonna be I'm back to the gym, lads. It it's, it's all ahead of you, lads. You'll know yeah. you'll know intimately the uh, the diary and the dates of the schools. Anyway, it, uh, it's a stunning opening to our our new year. Hi, everybody. <laughs> I watched um, it's a wonderful life on Christmas night. Oh, were you bawling your eyes out? Mm. Uh,
6: no, but it's poignant. Uh, what? You weren't crying? No, but uh, What kind James of a heartless James bastard are you not crying? He's, uh, I, d- I don't tend to cry at obvious moments on, in no, films, I but I cry in uh, subtle ones. Susan's
4: Petals didn't get you.
6: Yeah, no, it, was, it got me. It was top five moments from the movie for sure. He was some actor, wasn't he? God almighty. Hey, Who's this? Ethos.
4: Oh, Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, he's Stewart. pretty good. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Oh, he was amazing. Dro- Dropping the hot takes on his a good baller as well. Yeah. So yes. He was yeah. so good, like. Yeah. Oh. You play toss in
6: abundance <laughs> yeah. uh, Tom
5: Hanks is pretty good At acting as well and Yeah what I J- watched Johnny
6: Sexton good at rugby yeah. uh, Knives Out the, Those oh, two yeah. films Watch those They were very good now yeah, yeah Very very good And then I went on a bit of Daniel Craig binge By going back to Layer Cake.
4: Oh I see it Knocking around I haven't seen it Yeah
6: I, I saw the first half hour And I was like oh, I've seen this movie already It's just Snatch and lock stock. But presumably and better It's grand It's Matthew Vaughn's involved though he, he was involved with Guy Ritchie For those two movies And they did, what was that Rock and Roller Around that same era yeah. And I thought rock and roll was excellent, but this, I was like, after half an hour, and I was like, I know, I know what's going to happen here. I'm going to leave this. And also, he, he
4: physically changed so much, Daniel Craig, over the years. He was quite slender then. Well, he really he, built up for his, um, Somehow on my social media, the guy who's responsible for his amazing body um, is all over. Yep. Now, I don't know, is it my Twitter feed or my Instagram yeah. feed? It's like, something has happened where it's nothing but self help. Now, maybe because I've clicked on too many of them sometimes, <laughs> maybe because I'm so desperate for help. January so you're going to have yeah. to he's physical no, perfection but actually, this, was, this was even in December it was all right. Right. maybe they were preparing me for the way of yeah. like there is but one true way and Elon Musk is going to lead me to the uh, mediocrity that your algorithm will help you in 2023
6: Daniel, are you the same age as Daniel Craig oh your algorithm will not help you same A- as avoid the algorithm same age as Craig? delete I don't know I don't he know what age he is he's physical perfection Daniel Craig he's
5: your ideal man is he yeah <laughs> he's 54 Oh. don't be saying that of a jar Jesus wow. you're going you that are, means you, have you so are so much you are, more time you
4: are going to pay for that <laughs> so much <laughs> time to catch up with him first day of the year physically you nice were, um, I come.
6: ain't going to forget that you should be a, a brick S house the last day of year. this
4: year I will remind brick you how much a prick you are <laughs> <laughs> anyway yeah, sorry I'm not allowed to say that word on the radio it's 7.36 did you watch on Colin Kuhn if you haven't no no I heard it's very sad you can get it on I mean you don't cry though so no I do cry it's a cork so thing you missed about I there. watched
5: Apollo 13 on Christmas Day
4: oh yeah, yeah. did you cry at that I
6: was, I, I was te- tearing up at the end people crying? and I knew what the ending was as well you don't have to cry to show emotion you know there's different ways to do it <laughs> Oh, i always that. What's
4: well, nothing wrong with crying.
6: No. Oh, did you watch that Volcano documentary
4: on uh, Netflix, okay, the was New one? <laughs> That was also brilliant. Here's yeah. what's coming up on the show between now and 10 o'clock. <laughs> uh, performance rankings. Uh, we're already a minute late for them because we got way late. Alan Quinlan's going to join us at 5 past 8. Sports pages at uh, 25 minutes past 8. Sports news with Carl at 8.35. Harriet Pryor talking about Liverpool at 8.50. And Jack Langston on the darts at 9.15. But at 7.37, it is time for the Gillette Labs performance rankings.
7: You know that wasn't an all Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on the second half performance. <laughs> is it a step
4: too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not.
7: OTBA's performance rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head. at performances just lacked that intensity.
4: Uh, it is officially World Cup year now. We've been talking about it nonstop oh, wow. since since the uh, Japan game and the All Black game four years ago. But now we're entitled to do it every day if we want to.
5: I hadn't thought about that. I thought you were talking about the women's World Cup, but also the rugby World Cup. The rugby,
4: the one, the one Both that um, has been like this kind of dread weight around our necks, where there's this impending sense of doom, and then oh, lo and behold, first day out, Tony Sexton breaks his face. It actually no.
5: it feels a lot more normal to be talking about it on January first than December thirty first because it's the calendar year. You're like, okay, this we can get away with it.
4: But, but this this isn't, and the Leinster PA is not in any red, green, or amber in this either. Yeah, they haven't no, thrown
5: it in. we still we, we didn't consider the that. Yeah, we didn't. Yeah, we, we, left that we, goal. Did, we actually didn't say it, but no.
4: We, on this, the uh, the Monday is Tuesday of all time. Um, I am interested in what our, our our viewers think about the latest controversy surrounding. Um, is it the Wolf Tones? Is It is the Wolf Tones. Yes. Celtic Symphony. Uh, banjo strumming troglodytes was how they were referred to by Rory Keane in the uh, Daily Mail. <laughs> <laughs> it's like wow, wow. That is phew, that's a fiery. Pff. Mm. But um. Is that what people think? I, I—that's of off the band. That's the opinion of the of band. The band, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. hear. I mean, are you a big? Are you a big wolf, wolf? I enjoy tongue, the or? Wolf Tones. I really do. I enjoy their songs. Are they, Are um, they musically good? They're musically talented for sure. Are they? Because I remember a couple of times, some people not great uh, who'd be like the halftime at Croke Park, for example, <laughs> with some bad songs written specifically for the occasion. Mm. North, South, East and West, Gaelic games is far the best. That <laughs> one has stuck with me for my entire life. That's a classic. I can't remember. I think it was some kind of mix and gatherum of people who weren't normally uh, bandmates. But,
5: I, I think a bit of trad gets people in the mood. Irish people like a bit of trad and especially... Uh, but are
4: they good trad?
5: Uh, the Wolfstones are top tier trad.
4: Are they really though? Yeah, like are they, are they like proper, you know...
5: I'm going to get some, some trad police in the in the comments now telling me that they're they're crap. But no, I, I, like, I enjoy them. Their songs... On, you have an opinion, Colin? No, quite. <laughs> yeah. Look
4: what's in the sorry, range. Sorry,
5: you're putting up your
4: finger. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Let's, sorry, I just wanted to get that in there. Give us, your, give us your views. Yeah, let us know what you think. Yeah. Add Off The Ball on Twitter. Add Off The Ball AM specifically if you want to talk to us. Uh, 0879 180, 180 is the WhatsApp number. And of course, you can leave a comment in the YouTube stream. Happy New Year to you all. Let's get into the misery mm. of Spurs and Liverpool. I love it. On this,
5: the first performance rankings of 2023. We will start with Tottenham and Liverpool. We'll start with Tottenham, will we? Might as well. Spurs, uh, we thought that Steven's dead draw against Brentford was was the start of our comeback. That was that was that was a nice, nice little nice little two all draw against Brentford. Doer, uh, pretty decent. But that uh, that home defeat to Villa on New Year's Day, the home fans booing as well, Antonio Conte coming up with his excuses after the match. It wasn't great, was it? Uh, conceding twi- at least twice in seven consecutive league matches for the first time since November '88. That's a ridiculous stat. Mm. You don't see that, and, and it's it's. Scarcely believable as well because they're constantly coming from behind in games. So any, any games that they do actually manage to pluck a point or three out of, it's coming from behind. And that's not a, that's not a hallmark of a, of a solid team, is it? I mean, it's Spursy. Now, I'll give them credit here. I'm looking at the names that were missing against Villa on New Year's Day. Charlotte, Richarlison, Bintanker. Christian Romero was back from winning the World Cup. And Hugo Lloris. Well, I mean, to call that a howler... I think it's 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 fair enough
4: oh, it was, it was, I, know. I mean nothing was complete out or somebody else could have stepped in but like Villa were uh, World Cup hangover, uh, excellent in the second half they were I finished. mean uh, look mm, mm, uh, he has been complaining incessantly about the situation at Spurs constantly talking about other people's money at some point, that seeps into the team, right? At some point, the team are like, "I mean, am I am I not good enough for you? Really? Am yeah. I am I am I that bad that you're desperately trying to replace me the whole time, constantly complaining in the press? I don't know. I mean, we keep making the point everywhere he goes, he's won the league. So is something going to happen? Is something going to turn around? Are they going to find all the money they need? Is Harry Kane going to stay now that he hasn't won another tournament?
6: Yeah, I mean, lamenting the fact that they don't have a solid foundation. Uh, after spending millions, like they got, they signed a lot of players for a load of money in the summer. Uh, I think they pretty much got a, most of his targets that he wanted, and now we're into January and he's complaining about this. Like he strikes me as a guy who just doesn't want to be there. My brother-in-law is a season ticket holder there, and I was chatting with him after the Villa game. I was asking, was he part of the booing mob at, half, at full time? And he said, oh, one hundred percent, because the reason is is because he doesn't want to manage the club. And he's the wrong man for it because Conte wants experienced players. He doesn't want to build any sort of youth uh, and you know establish them into the first team after a couple of years. He wants instant success. And I think what Conte too is historically he struggles with the busy schedule. When Chelsea won the league under him in 2016-17, they just had the league to focus on. Mm. He likes one focus and he likes established players. He likes everything done for him and then he can be himself. But he kind of struggles with moulding together different personalities and Players in different stages of their career, and I was, um, you know, chatting to Nog again, and he was saying like, um, "Patch has to come back. Like Patch in the summer, it's ideal for him, because Conte strikes, and he's a guy who wants to go over to Juventus' job or get another job again. But I think he's done with Spurs, and I think so. They, yeah. I think yeah, like." I, I've always questioned Conte's motivation at Spurs <clears throat> from the start even when they were doing well do you remember the Burnley game at Turf Moor he wasn't in that long and he was basically saying well it felt like he was leaving that yeah he was like I, I'm going to go and he, he strikes me as a guy who was about two or three games away all the time from wanting to leave Spurs and I, I, I don't think it would take and much yet, to do that and didn't
4: they have their record breaking opening to the season it feels a long time ago now you know and they still do have a really gifted lavishly talented squad you know, I mean, the whole it's going to take a miracle for us to finish top four. I mean, it shouldn't really. Like, look at the table. Yeah, they're, you know, they're
5: two off United again. Extra players, granted, but I mean, they're they're still on thirty points in fifth yeah. place.
6: There's a raft said. of teams who are two points apart. Yeah, stage. So there's no reason that they shouldn't. They, like Spurs also started well under Nuno last season. Yeah, and that tailed off spectacularly. I, I know. It, like, obviously, Conte's on much more for Spurs, but he just strikes him as a guy who doesn't want to be there anymore, and he's not going to walk away because that would be madness. Because he's going to go to get his money. Um, and I really do think he's kind of you know probing the board to be like, look, if you don't want me here, and he just strikes me as a guy who who would rather move on. And I think he's he's a brilliant manager who's wrong for that club.
5: Bit of credit for Villa as well, to be fair, Jer. I mean, it was a good performance, and I was over in Villa Park for that Villa United game before the World Cup started, and it's probably no surprise that Unai Emery brings a new manager bounce. Um, so while we take away from Spurs, we have to give credit to Villa for New Year's Day because I mean it was it was a good Villa performance. Uh, especially the second half they really kicked yeah, not in great gear. in the
4: first half but better in the second half but yeah. then you know they, they did they did lose to Liverpool which no one's doing at the moment <laughs> what was going on did they have a good Christmas we'll put were, them they, were they overindulging bang into the red as well Jer. so we
5: might as well get, get into Liverpool uh, and uh, not, a, not a nice morning to be waking up if you're a Liverpool fan because if you're watching that match yesterday against Brentford uh, this 3-1 defeat it really it's not just the result it's the performance they were crap uh, so much so that you had that triple substitution at half time where you had Elliot, Simicass and Van Dyke taken off. Um, and it really was no surprise to see them all being taken off. Simikas was, was brutal.
6: Yeah, he attends every so often he has a game like that. He you you throw it but he's a good um, player, but he throws that in every so often.
5: Yeah, and, and it's like it took Andy Robertson, someone of his leadership, to come on and do anything. You know, he was the one G them up. He created a few chances. The, the goal kind of came from um, from his side as well. Like It was just. I don't know. Uh, if you're looking at that Liverpool team at the moment and you're looking at their fixtures that are coming up, you're a bit concerned. Like, top four is a stretch. They're 15, was it 15 points off Arsenal. Four mm. off United with a game more played. Um, they yeah, need to I finish. think
6: they have time to turn that around. There's only 16 games played. There's a lot I of the to season left. Like but what struck me in Liverpool in the second half is that they've a lack of leaders. Like, Robertson was the only standout mm. option as captain. And when they went 3 1 down, he was trying to rally the troops. And it was interesting to see the different reactions. And he he called this kind of unofficial huddle right after Benford's third goal. Yeah. And Kanate Kanate was just livid over the decision to allow the goal, which I thought was perfectly
4: fine. Like, he just got shot out of it by Imbueno. Kanate was terrible. Like, it was one of those games where very good players can have very, very, very bad games. Mm. But that was like a. That was a one out of ten. That was a minus one out yeah. of ten. If you're, what if you're, like, keep what are you doing there? But it wasn't it was, just the own goal and that mistake. It was just the. Well, I mean, that was it, enough. It was individual
6: <laughs> collective problem. But, <laughs> but Brentford should have been four 0 up at half time, like they did against but Manchester United. You got, he got in bullied August. for the
5: goal,
4: like uh, that. Totally, that's a really bad sign because it's like it's not even just the the game smart not to be playing for the free kick at that point where mm. all of a sudden if you don't get it you're screwed. It's just like the physicality like not being able to use your own physicality in that situation that it, was
5: it was moments though as well like even the the visa goal that was disallowed straight afterwards when visa scores the actual goal that that is allowed a minute later Alisson plays the ball short which you never see him do you never see him hit a, a ball out that badly and then Harvey Elliott just jumps over it he's well, like "Yeah, I, I, think, I
6: don't think there was Allison. a problem with Alisson no. I really don't and well, they no, picked I'm, that up at half time and they were like why is he doing that I thought it was a perfectly fine play why has Elliott yeah.
5: jumped over exactly. it exactly
6: yeah Elliott, that was crazy yeah. Yeah. at that time get a hold of the ball Canati I think looked for the foul for the third goal because he lost track of the ball over his head yeah. and lost confidence and he, he panicked and what am I going to do now I'm going to try and get the free but in his, if he was playing confidently, he would have done exactly the opposite and shouldered and Bueno out of the way and started a counter-attack for Liverpool.
4: So this, the stat popped up about Trent being the uh, joint most creative player in whatever period of time. Himself and De Bruyne have the same number of assists. I don't know how far back that goes. Is it two seasons, three seasons, however long it was, whatever the stat was. Yeah. Like, his inability to defend um for whichever the first first goal, was it the first goal where he gets sucked in and is like looking at the ball over his head and is like, oh oh, this header the second goal sorry, yeah, second goal. It's a good header, isn't it? Surprisingly good header from there. Yeah. Maybe, you know, I could have put a bit of pressure on the ball. Like that's just a coaching issue. Mm. That like that's not that's nothing to do with him being, you know, uh like too good going forward or in the wrong position like as a as a player like oh, he's actually a centre midfielder trapped in a right back it's like that's just bad coaching he hasn't been coached enough to go when this is happening where are you supposed to be Look, like, let's do that again let's do it again let's do it again let's do that, that
6: again any, uh, personal responsibility for Alexander Arnold at this stage of his career I mean presumably he knows what the set piece coach wants from him which is to get goal side and I think in that instance he was caught between well, the winger and the forward. He's obviously not go. being
4: held accountable then. So it's it's well we don't well
6: a, it's not showing that he's not, but it, maybe he is. But it's not showing. Okay, but
4: it's it's a collective responsibility. Sure, there's yeah. definitely he he definitely has. What I'm saying is you can't be taking him out of the team because he's obviously very creative. Mm-hmm. But whoever's fault it is, that needs to be fixed. And you can't you can't like say that it's not somehow on the coaches.
5: To be pointing this out, going, why are you doing this? We should again, though, on that give credit to to Brentford and what Thomas Frank has done because Mbumo and Visa are two of the type of forward pairs that Liverpool hate to come up against, and that that's without even Tony in that uh, Brentford attack as well. But Visa, particularly in that goal that you mentioned, Jerry like yeah, Trent was Trent was caught, but Visa's movement was brilliant, um, and and he was class the whole game. And got man of the match. I think he was excellent, got a, a deserved ovation. When he was being taken off as well. Um, and Klopp's comments after the game, yeah. We oh, let's he, talk about this. So we yeah. know he has excuses. But like, what, what? What a baby! What exactly is he giving out about? He's given. You lads were saying before that he's given out about the third goal for one, yeah. which is ridiculous.
6: Do you have the, Do you have those quotes? I have them here. Like it's crazy. What was he saying? Brentford create chaos with set pieces. When I say they stretch the rules, they do in offensive set pieces. Don't get me wrong; it's smart, but they do. If you single out all the situations, you could find five fouls. But because it's so chaotic, no one sees it in the end. Now, that does not look good in writing or verbally when you actually listen to him say it. Well he's such a bad loser. He is
4: and we know this. He's a notoriously yeah. bad loser and it's one of the most enjoyable things in world sport watching if you're not a Liverpool fan obviously you know, um, is watching the various ways that he finds to explain what's the grass, going on. The pitch wasn't good. That isn't actually the truth. No. Now we did acknowledge later on
6: in that same paragraph that they were at fault for the goals. Yeah, you know he did acknowledge that, but oh. he he always has to get something in there. But a lot of those, like Alex Ferguson, used to do it all the time as well. Like oh. you know, he did yeah. always be a deflection tactic. Is it the mark it of a winner?
5: Is the mark of a winner? It's, not the mark, it's, it's the mark oh. of a bad loser. It's a mark certainly. of a bad
6: loser. Yeah, a it, bad it loser, but also a winner. The, well, the greatest managers in the history of the game all seem to be bad losers because they're so not used I mean, to losing. It,
4: no, I think this is all like a difference between um, cause and effect here. It's like uh, I, I'd say that there are loads of other bad losers who are also involved in football who aren't also great managers. Being a bad loser doesn't make you great. No, but they
6: do have it in common, the great managers of the game. Jose Mourinho being probably the the biggest example of it. Like, he would definitely have come out and said this similarly when he was the peak of his managerial... (laughs) When he was the peak of his managerial prowess.
4: Uh, He did... Apparently he's going to get in trouble for this one, right? Um, uh, the Liverpool manager was unhappy with Brentford's tactics at set pieces and said in an answer as to whether he had complained about it yeah but that's exactly the same as I would talk to my microwave you get no response it's always the same before the season they gave us advice that the players have to be careful at this moment set pieces because the refs will have an eye on it and you see these games and pretty much everything is allowed it's always on the edge and they're using it I mean like welcome to football Jürgen you're an incredibly experienced manager Um. Like if you're talking
5: to your microwave, for starters, you're in trouble, aren't you?
4: I, I don't know why the this is the Telegraph thing that he's going to get in trouble for that. That was on Be In Sports afterwards, he was saying that. Um, I'm not sure that I buy the Carrer thing about like it's just the same as the Arsenal evolution where they became too technical. I mean, maybe, maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's what putting Thiago in the team has somehow turned them into this. But I don't, I don't feel like that's what's happening here. It feels like it's a bad organisation. Mm. Bad <laughs> organisation of set pieces. Like, that's not... I'd, I'd love to see the the uh, deep dive on the intensity stats, like the sprints and the distance travel, obviously, is the easiest one. But like more important, the high, high number of sprints. Like Is it is it Sadio Mane? Is it a, is a combination of really good technical analysis from other teams working out what it is that Liverpool are doing and then saying, oh, we're going to stop you doing that? It's the lack of replenishment in midfield, isn't it? They haven't signed a midfielder since Thiago
6: and they badly miss Henderson last night, which isn't a good look, because Jordan Henderson is not the player he once was. No. But they looked very depleted in midfield, quality-wise.
5: Man is a fair point, I think. Uh, you're missing a the guy there. I don't think... Dormin uh, uh, Nunez has been... Uh, like Captain Chaos, as Jimmy Carrigan calls him. He took his offside goal very, very well. Oh, beautiful. Last night.
6: Oh, Nunez isn't the problem. Like. No, Nunez he, can't, he is, can't be the problem. fine player. Like, he, he, he misses chances, but... The goals okay, will come for him. The goals will come, yeah. But he's a good player, but oh, they're far worse uh, problems than that, do not they?
5: Yeah, for sure. But... They are in the red, lads, on this performance rankings this morning. We move on to to the other red. It's uh, it's Ulster rugby, and uh, I feel like they've been in the red a little bit of, uh, of late. Unfortunately for them, they led fourteen points to five against Munster with uh, with thirteen minutes left. You felt this is going to be this is going to be a good day for Ulster. They're going to get it done. And then Ben Healy, out half off, off the bench for his first appearance since the win over South Africa back in November, and he does the business, gets the try, converts the try himself as well, and it's a one point win for Munster. Uh, A lot of happy Munster fans, no doubt, watching this morning, but we did want to put uh, put Ulster in the red, and I think rightly so, because if you read the comments from from Dan McFarland, the uh, Ulster head coach after the match, he was not holding back. And he wasn't making excuses. This was not a Jurgen Klopp uh, um, move from Dan McFarland. He said, we were terrible. I don't want to take anything away from Munster. That was a game where we decided our own fate. He points out the fact that they had the ball 11 times in the Munster 22 and lost it 10 times of those 11. That's just not good enough. Um, he says the only time we held on, uh, held on to the ball for long phases we scored a magnificent try when they held on to the ball they looked magnificent random chip kick when it's not on turning over in contact slow to break down uh, that was always going to come back and bite us McFarlane not holding back lads and no. I think um, it's trouble time for, for Ulster
6: I think one of the first things he said in the immediate post-match chat was uh, we were careless and by that we were without care which is you know that is damning indictment and I think what Stephen Ferris is saying afterwards is like that's all well and good that's great but you can only call out your players so often so now he's now he's put himself under pressure by doing that because they're not going to be happy with him
4: this is chaos at the moment because when you think about like they're a man up and they're winning the game against Leinster and it's a big moment for them and since then they've been since then, yeah. Pretty awful. Yeah. Like, you know, the mad comeback against La Rochelle, but the game is over. First yeah. half. Like yeah. the game is already over, so okay, great, you're able to do something when there's no pressure on you. And then a winning Atlantic's position. Yeah. A winning position against a team who, you know, are are still finding their way at the moment. Munster aren't the finished uh, version of what Munster are gonna be at all. So we're gonna talk to Quinny and 15 minutes in more detail about this, but uh, they should absolutely be in the red. This is very close to them being back to basket case territory. That's uh, if you're an Ulster rugby fan, we'd love to hear from you this morning. Uh, give us your thoughts. You can leave a comment on the YouTube stream, you can get us at Off the Ball AM. Yeah, trouble bent on for, uh,
5: for Ulster this, uh, this Saturday away, and then the small matter of visiting La Rochelle, uh, which could spell disaster for Ulster. So they're going to need a big performance there. So if, uh, without doubt, Ulster in the red this morning on the performance rankings. We're going to go to the darts for our amber and put Gerwin Price into the amber. Uh, it's definitely a mixed one. I think it deserves to be in the amber this morning because um, for anyone who watched uh, Goran Price's match the other day, he lost, needless to say, but um, he wasn't exactly enjoying the banter and crack and abuse, let's let's be honest, from some of the Ali Pali fans at the PDC World Darts Championship the other, mo- the other day. Uh, I think we've got a couple of photos as well, maybe, of... Uh, so there he's got the... He came out for one of the sets with um, ear defenders on. Now... <laughs> He was just geeing up the crowd a little bit as well. He was making a point. You can see after, I can't hear you. And clearly he couldn't hear because he's got these ear defenders. I think if, if he has any business sense, he'll come out with his own line of ear defenders, and Price, at some point now. Um, look, he was one of the favourites for this tournament. He's the world number one. He was the number one seed. So he wasn't happy going down the way he was going down. And he ended up losing, I think, was 5-1 on sets yeah. as well. Like He hit a 180 as soon as he came out with the ear defenders on. He kept adjusting the ear defenders, different parts. So they weren't comfortable. He took them off for the next set and just used the, the tiny little in-ear plugs. Um, now, I've put him in amber because I'll give him some credit. The abuse, apparently, in Ali Pali towards some of the players at Garwin Price gets a lot of it. It's quite difficult, and they have to listen to that. Especially when it's... I don't think the player's mind when it's really, really loud in there, and there's constant chants and singing. It's when it gets a little bit dark and or um, quiet, and there's little in-between moments where you can actually hear... What individual people are saying, yeah. I think that's what Garen Price doesn't like. So at different points, you'll see Garen Price with the ear defenders on, cheering up the crowd because he wants them to be louder, so we can't hear the individual people. Yeah, um, and there's
6: look, no there's no tennis or uh, rugby like protocol yeah. or etiquette among the fans at crucial times when they're throwing to the dart.
5: Yeah, and, and look, Garen Price. Some of the if you I've been watching the darts constantly over Christmas, constantly, and the the, co- the yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Toure chant I swear on my life if I ever have to listen to that again I don't know why it's rear its ugly head again at the darts I guess it's good fun to do because everyone stands up and then sits down for colo but please stop it like it's the same chants on repeat you'd swear they just pressed a play track this uh
4: no limits by two unlimited is it is that the
5: is that the, the chant yeah it is, uh, Yeah, is isn't it
4: yeah. that's the way it goes do I do the colo part
5: they do all, yeah, all of it. Yeah, yeah. A whole lot. That, Sorry, I, I did I wanted to stop. I didn't want people to, to have to listen to the entire thing. But there are there are chants and, and moments of the darts in the crowd where you're like, Jesus, I can't think of anywhere I'd less rather be than there. But it looks like good fun.
4: I, 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 thought, that was, I
5: thought that was your stick. I, you, no, I, I definitely enjoyed but it, that, that challenge not but but you, can't, you
4: can't say I like a little bit of this hashtag band, but not the rest of it. Is that not like. Is this not. The raison d'etre of so no, I'm, I'm
5: just pretending I'm mature If I was there I'd be in the middle of that Oh time. yeah Top off
4: Swinging it round yeah, With like, a jersey over my head Well, And some, some weird body paint
6: Spelling out something Yeah No doubt Should we make uh, anything of um, Price's comments afterwards On the Instagram story Where he said uh, So frustrating you play all year round Preparing for this one tournament So gutted I wasn't let play Presumably referring to the crowd mm. Good luck everyone left in Not sure I will ever play this event again Ah
5: all that there, all that. Bit of lip from the Welsh. So record. he's not
4: going to play the the World Championships as the world number one and the number one seed next season. For which player. by the way,
5: there's five hundred. There's half a million pounds sterling for the winner. All right, and he's won before, so I mean, he's not going to turn down that money. Yeah. Um, so yeah, put price there in uh, price. Look, give him a little bit of leeway. He got, he got abused, but um, I mean, the year defenders a bit much, although hilarious. So thank you for that, going
4: Kieran O'Connor says, "Love the show. Keep up the good work." Colin Foley says, "Happy New Year, lads." Damien says, "Happy New Year. Been working through Christmas and New Year's. Would have liked a little bit of OTB to start my day." Um, sorry Damien we're back now we had a bit of
5: shows um,
4: I got a text saying God you're very busy over Christmas and New Year's so, there you go yeah wow. uh, maybe we needed to premiere the stuff on on YouTube so that um, Damien was getting his fix he, w- he would have been if he was subscribed to the channel there you go subscribe to the channel uh, slap down uh, happy new year to you too Damien from me anyway but not from Colin I'll and Shane also from you Damien uh, any insight on the club takeover of English clubs Manchester United and Liverpool not yet we'll get back to that later on in the week uh, great to see the prevailing opinion of sports journalists feel Villa's win versus Spurs was because Spurs were poor, not because Emery gave Conte a tactical masterclass, says Barbalatza83. Uh, nine points from 15. Villa deserves something from the Liverpool game. Emery surely in contention for Manager of the Month. Don't want Manager of the Month awards. Don't do don't, uh, you, you Like, they're pointless. Uh, Joe Kinnear used to brag about having won four or five of them. In the different stages of his career, he did actually win little baubles of manager of the month because but you're in danger of losing momentum
5: if oh, you were yeah. manager of the month which Jer believes in you'd know, be afraid column, of that now my favourite uh, comment column is new year new Jersey putting know. the young lads in their place as is necessary happy new year lads of course Chair being 54 the same age
4: as Daniel Craig you anchors are in trouble I'm <laughs> telling you I'm <laughs> coming for you <laughs> uh, you can't possibly make yesterday about Trent he was excellent says Rory Marr. in fairness says Nigel Gallagher if Trent left the guy behind him free and he scored he would have been criticised Trent actually defended well in the last few games I thought I do think though that like um, you've got to address the problems and there are multiple problems here not being able to defend from set pieces being scared of big lads lumping the ball in the box Like that's not a good sign being scared of you know, the ball being punted over you because you're playing your high line but everybody isn't quite on board with it um, Van Dijk apparently has a hamstring injury at least that's what they were saying in the aftermath of the game so we'll see if he misses uh, any game time or if he was being punishment substituted, who knows? Do you think they said that to uh, I don't make know. it less of a story? Yeah. Maybe, maybe. It'll be legitimate.
5: Yeah, It would make sense. We move on to the Greenlands this morning. Evan Ferguson. Um, I was up out of my seat when Evan Ferguson scored, I have to say, watching that uh, Brighton Arsenal game the other day. The goal meant nothing in reality. Uh, almost mounted a comeback. They got a second and then had a goal disallowed. Um, but really, it was all about Evan. We step over for the first goal. He was involved in the third goal as well, I think, that was disallowed. Um, and he took his goal really, really well. He's just strong, six 6'2", 18 years of age. Um, Betty's Town, I think we're going to call him the Betty's Town man. Um, a lovely fella, quiet fella. Uh, Evan, I was interviewing him there recently enough uh, for, for ourselves. And he's just a lovely, lovely lad. And clearly, clearly highly thought of at Brighton. Um, I was kind of worried for him. You know, when, when Graham Potter left the club, you're thinking, right, De Zerby's coming in. It's never easy for a young lad when, when a new manager has to get to know you all over again. It's a bit of trouble. But clearly Roberto De Zerby thinks the same of him as Graham Potter did. Yep. He apparently stays after training as well with Danny Welbeck and a couple of the, the uh, leading Brighton strikers to do the extra shooting practice and stuff and picking up little tidbits of information from them. Um, I Look, I don't want to put pressure on Evan Ferguson.
4: Come on, hit we- the pressure on. This is football. That's the whole point. Okay. He's going to be the new Robbie Keane. What he's going to overtake about? Robbie's record, lads. Yeah. He's going to do it. Well, he's
6: got to have it in his sights. Come on. Of course. Good thing about this it was a consolation goal so it'll be quickly forgotten about because Aaron Connolly had the brace to beat Spurs and then we wouldn't stop talking about him for about two months afterwards and we know what happened then. So maybe this will be a more subtle uh, emergence of a great player. Yeah, but Roberto De Zerbi had kind words to say about Ferguson afterwards as well. Mm. He categorised him among a number of young players at Brighton so he didn't um, highlight him per se individually but he said he's one of a number of very good young players we have which I think is perfect for his development and at 18 years and 72 days he becomes Ireland's youngest Premier League goal score, beating Michael Abba Femi by 100 days Class. and he becomes Brighton's
4: youngest Premier League goal scorer beating Aaron Connolly Aaron Connolly is definitely something that you hope that Evan Ferguson's camp are saying look this can happen or Robbie Keane can happen you, you, you can definitely dedicate yourself to your craft and make sure that you are cutthroat and uh, ruthless in the pursuit of being the number one striker at this club or you know yeah, yeah, you could end up playing in Serie B or not even playing in Serie B at the moment but
3: um, as
6: Kathleen pointed out pre-show Connolly we could be seeing more of him now on the, on the verge of a move to Hull City um, from Vicenza like it's not too late for Connolly by the way just to say no, he just no. needs to change his attitude but he's he's a fine player like it's naturally talented Hull's
5: a good move for him well, yeah. you
4: know. We'll see. He, yeah, push. it's like up <laughs> to him isn't
5: it? Yeah, Milo speaks highly of the of the club and the people and and all the rest of oh, it. He is needs a, good
4: people around him. It's yeah. got to that stage of his career where he needs he needs good people around him and it could go it could very easily it could very easily be finished for him. Mm. That's what like that's the truth about where Connolly is at at the moment in his career. He's not going to get many more chances. He had a chance. He's had several chances um at this stage and that's uh, really impressive aggression that he had and ball skills that he had will only carry you so far after that you've got to make sure that you're, you're completely dedicated to it and whatever it was that was influencing him in his life not to dedicate himself properly to uh, to making this uh, if that's not cut out then he's going to end up not playing football in 18 months. You mentioned in the first leg of the 21s against Israel afterwards he played very well in that
6: game yeah. uh, in Dublin and he said that I've got my love of the game back mm. and, that, and I suppose that was a worrying thing to hear from someone so young that he so quickly fell out of love with the game. Um, Mad, but isn't it? Yeah, yeah but look it was, I suppose it was a factor of on and off field issues but like Look, hopefully there's more than enough time for him to resurrect his career.
4: Uh, Deserby and Chelsea, and uh, Chelsea didn't make it here. Like what, what? A- and Chelsea? Abdication of, um, well, Potter. like mm. Potter and Chelsea should have been in the red, right? That's what I'm just saying.
5: Well, they drew. Could have loved them in as well,
6: maybe. They point. drew. Well, I mean, as you know, there's limited spaces. There's limited spaces. Yeah. Let's keep
4: going. Yeah. Final
5: uh, green space this morning. I, I think Deserve so, because we don't really give them an, enough attention or perhaps praise, regardless of the fact that they're at the top of the Premier League table, is Arsenal. Uh, definitely the top of the green on this morning's performance rankings in 0 2 Uh Lads, I don't know what you thought, but the performance was very good against Brighton. It uh, played well, they conceded a couple of goals, which wasn't great. But I think Arteta is the type of manager who likes having something to work on and something to give the players a bit of a G up as well. Um, the match tonight's going to be interesting. Newcastle. Arsenal's home record, regardless, is very good, but their home record against Newcastle at home mm-hmm. is very, very good. Um, Martin Odegaard was outstanding Against Brighton he That had, pass like, oh, oh my god for Martinelli Oh, one of the best assists You'll see all season If not the best
6: Because the pass into him Put him under a little bit of pressure Thomas Partey yeah. Put him into a mid position And just the wherewithal To see it And then to execute it Yeah
5: Ah oh, he's, un- he's unbelievable Emile Smith-Rowe Would come back tonight Jesus is still out But maybe back
4: next month It uh, would be great For the Premier League If Arsenal won the title I
6: can't believe they're in this position They're seven points clear mm. ha. <laughs> You know, and they could be they could be ten tonight for temporarily at least.
5: They do have tough games coming up. Very tough. Starting Man City tonight. double bill. Yeah, yeah. I mean, then the will the, the win tonight, bill.
6: right? You think so? Oh, yeah, I think so. David's superb record against Newcastle. And Newcastle didn't score against Leeds.
4: Mm. were Newcastle's great. record, though, it doesn't really matter anymore. That's like saying, oh, they had a great record against Man City, and then the money came. Yeah, maybe.
6: Well, I mean, the money came, but they haven't signed superstar players. As someone said recently on Twitter, it was like the scary thing about Newcastle is they're in their Adebayor and Bellamy phase. Yeah. For Man City they're only in their very early phase of signing players so give it a couple of windows and they'll be superb on paper I at think,
4: the moment they're just good on paper I think they've skipped the Adebayor and Bellamy phase they're not buying any dilettantes and they're not buying any uh, I think that like, Almiron has become a they're just sensation being smart. Grimerej yeah. is
6: a very good player they just have very good players and they have a very good team but wasn't that Sven wasn't, wasn't Sven in charge for that for Man City no that was before and Shinatra. so Sven's last game was Shinatra's last game uh, as owning the club, they got hammered like eight nil so away to Middlesbrough. Was, it was Mark um, Hughes. So Hughes and Sparky came in. Did, did Sven Kompany. replace No, uh, Hughes replaced Sven in 2008. All right, so, so Sven had one season in charge, all seven eight. They beat Man United in the Manchester derby in September. Sven, and then he starts. So he started brilliantly, and then completely t- tapered off. And then they signed Vincent Kompany in a free transfer, and it looked like it was just a standard Man City team. And then was it the last day of the the transfer window in summer 2008? the lads came in and history was made.
5: as
4: they say. Yeah. You watched that documentary, did you? Which? The Sky, the, the Sky Man City documentary. No, I just no. remembered it. Is. All right,
5: wow. Yeah. We're, get, we're getting into the hype of, of Arsenal. Ten points to lead tonight if they win. And our, obviously City played Chelsea on Thursday, but I mean, we'll know by the end of this month when they, when they get through these games. Tottenham away, United at home as well then.
4: We'll no. obviously start talking about the uh, transfer windows because they've been linked with um, Woodrick. Is that the correct pronunciation? Oh yes. Yeah
5: yeah, Quality player Yeah They're going it's to have bit, to spend the, bits the 85 I've seen very
4: good. They're going to have to spend the 85 million apparently That's what Shakhtar want They've offered 55 So maybe maybe that happens now And maybe they win the league And maybe they're in the Jude Bellingham stakes Out of nowhere Possibly
6: you know? They've lost 1-15 It's not bad They're going to do a Leicester 2015-16 start really well And right. then eventually seal out
5: Right by, by the way, so we had our Crystal Ball member before, yeah. before the year And one thing Nathan said And it stood out to me ever since was one thing I can tell you for sure is Jude Bellingham will not be playing for Arsenal. So if it happens, we may
4: pull that clip right out. There you go. That was your first Gillette Labs performance rankings of 2023, folks.
3: OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette.
4: Right, Brayburn Coffee is the official coffee partner of OTB. Start the new year off with a delicious Brayburn oat milk coffee. January never tasted as good. It's available at Apple Green locations nationwide. After the break, Alan Quillen is going to join us. First, though, here is Tim Vickery talking to Mick McCarthy, paying tribute to Pele.
8: How interested, Tim, was Pele in those kind of conversations? How interested? I thought, like He was one of those people that I think always came across as very humble in conversation, but not necessarily as a sportsman. Was he interested in the Pantheon conversations and his place in it? Oh. Obsessed. Oh, was
3: he interested? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, would go, I would go much further. Now, here we're beginning, and you've, you've brought up, I think, a wonderful point, uh, how often people talk of his humility, and again I don't wish to criticize him on this in any way. Yeah. But he was a genius at public relations as well. Yeah. Because the 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 humility doesn't apply to his own conception of himself as a footballer and why should it? You don't get as good at anything, let alone something as competitive as football without really having something about you, without really having an edge to you and and Pelé uh he was a ferocious guardian of his of his own legacy, mm. and he, he he hated anyone being placed close to him. And he had all kinds of swipes at Maradona for off the field activities or for being limited to the left foot. Uh, you know, Messi. He said, "You know, when you've scored as many goals as I have, we can talk." Um, oh yes, I mean, he's uh, there's there's nothing modest about this. And part of that humility that he projects is a man utterly secure of his place in the Pantheon, although always in the back of his mind worried.
4: Mm. Okay, it's 11 minutes past eight this morning. We're turning our attention to rugby. Alan Quinlan is with us. Alan, good morning to you. How are you?
0: Good, Gerard. Thanks. And yourself?
4: We'll get on to Ulster and Dan McFarland in a moment, but I do want to start with uh, Johnny Sexton's health, which, let's face it, uh, is the barometer of Irish rugby's well-being at the moment. The World Cup year is officially here. We've been banging on about it for three and a half years. We're entitled to talk about it now non-stop between every day between now and September when it actually happens. And uh, lo and behold, the first thing that happens is Johnny Sexton's out for a significant period of time.
0: Yeah, it didn't look great, did it? Um, unfortunately, um, he uh, he took a heavy knock to the face, the side of the jaw, and uh, we don't have the the prognosis yet or the the results of, of a scan, but it didn't look like um, something that you can just shake off and be back in playing next week or, or playing for, for Leinster in Europe the week after. So it's uh, it's one that's um, uh, it's disappointing, I think. And, uh, you know, he hasn't had a lot of rugby play this year and he's been minded a little bit, but he'd be a significant loss. But, you know, for the Six Nations, uh, it's, it's better something like this happens now rather than, than at the World Cup because, um, you know, he would be a significant loss given the way he's been playing.
4: I saw some debate online about the um, his body position at the tackle and whether or not he was lucky not to have been red-carded. Is, do you have a view on that or was that just um, a bit of after-time? And...
0: Yeah, um, I think it's definitely the first one of the thoughts that came into my head when you tackle that high and you make contact um albeit it was his jaw with Jared Butler's head. Um, He could have been, he could have been carded for it, Um, but he does tackle high, doesn't he? He's done that for a long, long time and he usually wraps the ball and he's taken a lot of kind of heavy knocks over the years and they've been kind of highlighted and spoken about. But um, it's one that could have been looked at, but I think he's absorbing the tackle a lot more than, than that forward motion at the end when, uh, you know, there's a lot of debate around these, the tackler's technique around, you know, the height they're tackling at and the onus is on the tackler. But it's one that could have been maybe looked at. But I think he's absorbing the tackle a lot more than, than any sort of movement going forward.
4: Um, uh, Regular listeners to this show will know that uh, I had been saying that I thought that him and uh, maybe Sean O'Brien and a few others should have been given six months off in advance of the last World Cup Uh like this might now be an enforced period of rest for him? Do we just need to stop and hit the reset button and go, all we want is Sexton to be playing well by the time the World Cup comes, however that needs to happen? I guess this is twofold here, right? Is there a world in which Johnny Sexton last night got injured in that tackle because he wasn't quite at um, full match sharpness, having not played much recently, and so therefore he probably needs to play a good bit more than we actually think? In advance of the World Cup, but that might be okay, and maybe he plays every minute of all the warm ups. And everybody's like, "Why are they doing this?" Because he needs to get to that match sharpness, or do you literally wrap him up in cotton wool? And the next time we see him in a meaningful match is the start of the World Cup.
0: Not for me. It's too it's too risky doing doing that. Um, uh, you can't wrap a guy in cotton wool. I think he was always going to, and he's managed pretty well at at his age anyway, and and as are most of the internationals. Here around the, their game minutes and stuff like that, his would be probably monitored a little bit more. And certainly, we do want him at a World Cup, but um, I don't think you can wrap someone in cotton wool and, and give him a complete um, break from the game and, and bring him back for World Cup warm ups in, in 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 August and and hope that it's too risky to do something like that. I think it could backfire on you. But um, if he's if he's not available, if he's fractured his jaw and there's a there's, there is a fracture there maybe which we were not. We hasn't been clarified yet but it certainly looked like there was a, a, a serious mark on the side of his face that he had a dent in his, on the side of his jaw which didn't look good um, that could be down to just it could have swelled up really quickly um, but if he was to miss the Six Nations well it's more game time for Joey Carberry um, Jack Crowley Ross Bourne, um and they've got to cope and they coped against Australia albeit it wasn't at the same level and it wasn't the best performance against Australia in November but um it's just it's it's a little bit of luck that we need come November to have such a pivotal player available uh, to Ireland but I wouldn't say take him out of the game and wrap him in cotton wool he needs to play rugby as well
4: yeah the one last point about this is that um the, the team is a completely different <coughs> team that the, the, the Leinster team and the Ireland team are completely different teams when Sexton plays. All the the um advanced analytics show just what kind of difference he makes to the side. And yet we can't put all our eggs in the Sexton basket. We we've seen that he's barely played since the All Blacks series, which was obviously sensational, but at this stage of his career he's gonna pick up injuries. So those other players you're talking about, this is it now for them. Like this is their moment to stick a hand up and go I can be the player who starts at number 10 when Sexton's not around and if Sexton is around I'm the one breathing down his his neck is there anybody who's ready to do that at the moment
0: um well I think I think obviously there's a big debate about this and and the, the level that Johnny Sexton brings um I think the composure the determination the the, the control and the the kind of energy that he brings to that Irish jersey when he's there and he kind of lifts players around him, that's pretty significant. It's hard to replicate that with, with the other players. Obviously, Jack Crowley um, got the nod in November against Australia. It was a big step up for him. There's a lot of excitement about him and we're seeing um, we're seeing the raw talent that he has. Um, and I know we'll talk about it in a minute, the, the, the win in, in Belfast for Munster. There's still a couple of mistakes in him. There's still a little bit of jitterness. Um, he's a wonderful footballer, and he has that little bit of spark that you want. Um, Joey Carberry I think he has that ability to step up there, and he's done it on a couple of occasions as as well. Um, it was very frustrating in the sense that you know, Carberry got got that head knock against Fiji and and wasn't around to to maybe start, but obviously it's hard to replicate a Johnny Sexton. You know There'll probably never be another Johnny Sexton at that level, the leadership. Um, Maybe some of the younger players, maybe Crowley will in a few years. Harry Byrne is back playing as well. Um, So I'm not sure, um, is there anyone at the same, there's no one at the same level, but I think it could be a great opportunity for someone like Crowley or or Carberry to excel himself and kind of get a run. I think he's only had five five starts or six starts for, for Ireland. At half, Joey Carberry. So, um, yeah, coming into this year, it's not ideal. And it could come back to, to to cause Ireland problems. But it is what it is and they've got to get on. And, and Six Nations is an opportunity for somebody else if Johnny Sexton isn't available.
5: I can see it in your eyes, Cunny. You're mad to talk about Belfast. You're mad to talk about it. We, we might as well focus on the negatives for Ulster first before we get into the positives with, uh, with Munster. But we mentioned the Dan McFarlane quotes uh, earlier on in the show. Like, they really stand out because he's like, we were terrible. Um, when they held on to the ball, they looked magnificent. We looked careless at times, like we didn't care how precious the ball was. Very strong comments from McFarland after that match.
0: Yeah, very strong comments. As long as you don't want to talk about Brentford last night, uh, Shane, that's all right. But uh, Belfast on Sunday was, was good. Um, I, I think it probably shows that um, they are on the right track in a sense that, you know, there's, I don't uh, like the, the South Africa results, like the Edinburgh result um, a couple of weeks ago at the start of November. I thought they were kind of pivotal moments for this team to go to Edinburgh um, and, and pr- produce the performance. They did get a bonus point win. Um, they probably should have won the game against Leinster. Well, certainly could have won the game against Leinster um, they're in dire need of points and you think going to Belfast, this is, this is, you know, predictably it could be another win for Ulster. Even in, in when I played back in, it's a good while ago now, it was always a difficult game, this game after Christmas, because you're going to be down some of the internationals and it's it's a tough place to go and win. So no matter what position Munster were in and what squad they have, it's, it was always a tough place to go. Um, but I think we've seen glimpses and we've spoken about it on the podcast and with you guys as well in the last few weeks that there is glimpses that, um, this team are starting to gel together a little bit. Um, they're showing a bit of fight, determination, which is needed defensively. They're, they're getting that stuff right. Um, bar Leinster, they've, can, you know, they they've, I think they're the second-best defensive side in the URC, and that was even before this game on Sunday. Um, so, you know, they're getting their fundamentals pretty good. I think, obviously, you can go into the set-piece, and they lost line-outs early in the game, and you think the first half, opportunities gone, when they were also down to 14 men, you know, they weren't able to score. But I thought the reaction, and there seems to be a little bit of a spring in their step, and they're far from the finished article, I think, they look at this game and, and certainly realize that they made some mistakes and opportunities, and they need to be better in certain things. But, you know, Dan McFarlane in Fairness Team said um, that he didn't want to take away from the months performance. But when you go away from home and you've 65% possession and, and so up in the 60% or over 60% territory as well, that would indicate that you're trying to play and that you have a lot of the ball. Um, And I know the first half they had it, they weren't clinical enough with it. And Ulster had entries into the 22 that Dan McFarlane is talking about. But Munster look a lot more comfortable now in in working together defensively. And, you know, some of the penalties they gave away in the first half were silly. Um, But it was a really good performance for them. Um, The fight to come back uh, against, uh, on paper, a stronger side, a more settled side. In a sense that um you know, Munster's still missing a lot of players and they were down their internationals, but it was a brilliant win for them.
5: That's the point I think, Quinny, isn't it? The fact that Ulster had some internationals back. Munster still without, you know, Tyke and Peter Mahani, for example. Like when is it when is it panic stations for Ulster and Dan McFarland?
0: Um, yeah, well look, Ulster still and Munster's still down a number of players who can can bolster the bench and give them a little bit of depth, particularly around the second row position. You know, Kieran McDonnell has come in in a short term contract. He was really good the other night Um, for Ulster. Look, it's been a a dreadful couple of weeks and I think they going to Galway last week um, on the 20 and the 23rd of December. You think for 50, 60 minutes, it's, it's good. And they've, they've played well and they've, they've dominated. They've won the physical battle. And in the end, they're hanging on for dear life. So, you know, psychologically we talk about them a lot um Dan McFarland said that you know himself that they were soft in a sense that and he didn't specify physically or mentally he wasn't really but just as a team they were they were broken down easily and um, in Galway and they could have you know ruined a perfect night from I all, you know they got to the win in the end 2220 but um, the results against sale um, first half against La Rochelle. So he's worried, he's concerned and he should be because, but on paper, they're a very, very dangerous side, but they're lacking some, something. Henderson has come back in the last few weeks um, and, you know, they would have been really, really down the dumps after losing that game the other night at home.
4: So is it a crisis? Because it feels, it has the bang of a crisis off it at the moment.
0: Yeah, well, you'd feel like it is a crisis when you lose a game like this at home. You could put down the last few weeks to the travel, to a little bit of luck, bounce of the ball. Uh, maybe not. Um, you know, everyone has little dips in the season, Jer. But you know, this is this this one will hurt a lot. Um, given it's at home, it's it's a packed house. It's the, the first game of the new season. Monster down the internationals. Um, and you think you've got to win this game. Um, go back to June in the quarterfinals and Leinster blew Munster away with a similar team. And Munster had a stronger side. Um, so, you, you know, going up, I think Munster fans would be more hopeful going to Belfast. But they couldn't shake him off, I think. Obviously, the you know, when Balakun scores a try, if he gets a conversion, it's, it's 16-5. It's has a different feel. Uh, Munster getting the penalty, making it 14-8. Any team chasing a lead, if you bring it back to within that try and conversion score, scoreline, you're you're going to make it nervy. And they just lack a little bit of control and composure, Ulster, at vital times. And they allow teams back into it. And But, you know, I just thought Munster were really brave in what they did. And they made a lot of line breaks. Um, they kept going. They caused Ulster a lot of problems at the breakdown. Um, so you know from Dan McFarlane's point of view I know he looked back in this and, and, and it was really poor and a lot of stuff they did but on the other side I think it showed that Munster are moving forward a little bit um, the reality still is they're going to come up short and they're still going to struggle probably possibly to make the, the, the playoffs but they've given themselves a real shot here this was a win that's, that wouldn't be have been expected
4: Um Two, two last points on this. Uh, Healy obviously uh, performing the way he did. The links to Scotland won't go away. What do you think is going to happen
0: here? Um, I'm not sure because I think you know Ben Healy is is a very talented player. Um, he has ability. I think the only downside at the moment that I would see in his game is just physically, defensively, and. And probably when he's in collisions and in contact um, for a big man, he needs to be a little bit more physical. He's a very talented guy and he's shown that he's so laid back, um, doesn't panic, which is a brilliant attribute in a fly half, you know, because they're usually under a lot of pressure. They have a lot of decisions to make, so he's very calm. So he has something other fly halves maybe don't have that control. And I thought he was brilliant. So, um, it's often the case when when guys backs are to the wall that they come out fighting and they they bring that little bit of fight and energy. He was very good in Cork against South Africa as well. Um, so what's going to happen? I don't know. I think he he'll certainly be tempted. This is the second time Scotland have come looking for him. Um, his contract is up at the end of the season. He's got to assess where he's at. You know, Jack Crowley has kind of leapfrogged him a little bit. Um, Joey Carberry is there. Is he, does he want to sit and be third choice? Does he believe that he can be first choice? Because they're not kids anymore now. These guys have played a good bit of rugby in the last two seasons. So um, it's a big decision. Munster would love to keep him, I'm sure. And he would be a very important player going forward. Um, but I think the other night will certainly help um, the perception of, of Ben Healy. And it certainly puts him back on the radar again for people going, "Wow, this guy can do something here. And he was very, very good when he came on. And and he's an undoubted talent.
4: Um, it's hard to know what to, to think when there's a possibility we could have Cooney at nine and Healy at ten for Scotland. Yeah. Um, Against us in the World Cup, you know? And, like, if Healy wants to go and play for Scotland, part of you thinks, fair enough. If that's what you think is the right thing for you, then off you go. And, and that would be a sign that you don't fancy your chances of knocking over your opposition. And then part of you thinks... Ireland don't really have a glut of brilliant young out-halves, so let's make sure we keep him in the system and get the benefit of the fact that maybe in three, four years' time he is the best of that crop, because we don't know how they're all going to evolve and develop.
0: Yeah, that, that's a great point. If you can get five, six, seven of these fly halves behind Johnny Sexton and, and you keep shaking and rocking and and um, and seeing more and more of these guys The chances are one or two of them are going to learn from Sexton, uh, go on that path of of developing their own game and that that character-wise, that resilience. It's hard to coach that stuff, but talent-wise, yeah, I think you know David Nussefuro wouldn't want to lose him. I don't think Munster would want to lose him, but that carrot is kind of dangling there, international rugby and where he sees himself. So if you're Ben Healy, you're thinking, white, okay. I uh, what do I have to do now to to get get playing for Ireland? Well, I have to get a number one slot in Munster and start playing regularly for Munster in the big games, and then you know get get called up to the Irish squad. So there's a there's a good few steps to go there, in a the sense where if Scotland come and bring him to Scotland, uh, Glasgow and Edinburgh, you sense that they'll nearly drop him straight into a Scottish squad or uh, uh, and and fast tracking. So. Um, it's a tough one for him Um, and I'm not privy to what the conversations are with his agent and contract negotiations and all that kind of stuff but it was pretty telling that he signed a one year contract last year and it wasn't longer so he's certainly going to be tempted by it I think the last couple of weeks would have would have uh, not been great for him when when he sees his lack of game time throughout December so Let's see what happens. I think the other night will certainly give him a boost and he'll have a pep in his step going into Munster training this week.
4: Uh, last one then on, on the Ulster game. Um, when McFarland comes out and criticises the players again, Stephen Ferris afterwards was talking about how there's only so many times you can do that before, Yeah. you know. So uh, that's, I guess, when, when I'm asking about a crisis, it's like, well, you've done that publicly. There's been the various issues that they've had um, Robert Coyle in the textures is making the point the logistics and getting to sale frostgate, no leadership on and off the field hurting financially, support waning more to Ulster's issues than just playing poorly it does seem like you know what's happening on the field is a reflection of what's going on uh, in a, on a more wider basis at the club at the moment there's a, a non-zero chance that um, McFarland isn't the coach next season you've got to presume the IRFU if you want McFarland to stay and that they'll be buttressing him and supporting him because they, the last thing they want is another change of coach. There, who comes in and says, "Oh, I've got a three-year plan. And we're all right for the future."
0: Yeah, I think. Look, it's. Um, I agree with Fez. I think if you, um, and I'm sure behind the scenes he probably ripped him a new one. Um, given the, you know, when you go out and you're kind of st- trying to stay um, controlled after a, after a game like that, but he was honest and he has been honest and he's he's. Um, uh, but it, it's it's getting to that point that if, you know, I think they will make the playoffs, they'll be knocking on the door in the URC. They were unlucky last year. They, you know, they could have beaten the eventual winners in the semi-final. Stormers very unlucky in the end. Um, so but we talk about that a lot, don't we, Gerr? Small margins and a little bit of bad luck and, and what-ifs for Ulster. Um, they've got to deliver. I think they've, you know, it's, it's they're in a tough place in Europe as well. But they can still qualify. Um, but the pressure is going to come on him a little bit. and, and it, Internally, if if you, if you hear the coach kind of lambasting, you know, I'm sure he's he's been pretty tough on them this week. And they've got to pick themselves up their way in Benetton this week. So um, they've got to go there and, and win and, and possibly get five points and get back on track and turn this around. They, they are in a bit of a crisis at the moment. There's no doubt about that.
4: One suggestion here from Robert Coyle, who I think is our resident Ulster fan in the comments, is uh, the RFU should send Ben Healy to Ulster. Billy Burns has to go. Um, like the Billy Burns experiment of him playing for Ireland, That those days are over, so I'm not really sure what the point of persisting with him
0: as the 10 at Ulster is. Is there a world in which Ben Healy ends up... Possibly, at- yeah. Possibly. I think Jake Flannery obviously went up there and he's not got um, a lot of game time, but it would be the best... Um, it wouldn't be a bad scenario for Ireland to keep him here. Um, and if he was playing with one of the other provinces, yeah, um, that would be great to keep him for, for, for with a view to playing for Ireland. But, you know, the Billy Burns thing um, is rumbling on. A lot of lo- Ulster people talk about that. And, and it's an area where they're lacking that bit of control and composure. Because when you think of McCluskey, Hume, Balakoon, Ethan McIlroy, um, you know, Michael Lowry, they're finishers, they've got pace, they've got quality, and at times they um it's not really their attack that's the problem, it's their control in games and where they play and that that composure that's needed. And he's not that type of player, Billy Burns, is he? He's he's a kind of off the cuff and he's a bit of spark to him and he's attacking, he runs a lot. So maybe they do need a little bit more of a pragmatic approach. I think their mall has been really good and we've criticized their forwards a lot over the years, but they were porous and they were a bit soft the other night against Munster
5: just strikes me Quinny, when we're talking about Munster and being all sunshine and roses because they of course got the right side of the, of the result uh, uh, at the weekend like attacking wise after those inner pros against Ulster and Leinster they had the ball so often in the opposition 22, 22 and can only I guess get over the try line a certain amount of times like Mike Prendergast surely will have a lot of stuff to work on even regardless of, the, of all the positives Definitely. we're talking about
0: yeah, definitely. I think that's um, they did opportunities in the first half. Didn't take them. Um, I think what was most pleasing for this team was was at the end they didn't panic after the Jack Crowley break. Um, we see that in a lot with with Munster. You know, they make some some bit of a break. There's no one on the shoulder. Uh, they go 40, 50 yards up the field, and then the ball is turned over. They knock it on, and it's it's it's. Um, the pressure has gone off the opposition. I think that bit of composure that they showed and, and for Conor Murray to pass it to Ben Healy that time, we've seen months or many times before and under the old regime, they would have kept picking and going and picking and going to actually give the pass there. And, you know, Shane Daly was outside him. He could have passed it to Ben Healy. Um, but that's where the space was and, and for them to score there at that critical time. But of course, they'll look at that and they'll try and execute better. And they're far from the finished article, Shane. So, I, I, no way am I suggesting that Munster are in a great position now. But I think they're they're showing positive signs, and they're enthusing, you know, the Munster fans a little bit from from where they the, the results at the start of the season.
4: Uh, one last thing: um, Jordan Larmers back is this uh, something that might force the Ireland selectors' hands a bit? Yeah,
0: I think it was brilliant. Um, uh, he's had a dreadful time with injuries, a, a lack of form at times as well coming back picking up another injury he's a brilliant player and he has a little bit of niggle to him now even in that Munster match down in Tolman Park he's trying to get in counter-rocking at one stage he's he's slamming into Munster forwards in a mall um, but he has that brilliance I think it was it was that, that X factor that you just can't coach in people he has that so trying to utilise that getting it back is another big boost Ryan Baird was someone um, you know, outstanding performance from him as well, and they just flexed their muscles, didn't they? After about 55-60 minutes, Leinster, and showed their quality. But when you have someone like Larmer making those line breaks, um, stepping people, it's 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 just uh, so many talented players they have. But I think it's brilliant to see Jordan Jordan Larimer back in action as well.
4: Quinny, good stuff. Thanks a million. Cheers.
0: Cheers, thanks, lads.
4: A reminder, OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Shifty Lad in the comments says, Good morning, lads. Have a great new year. All the best to everyone connected with the show, including textures that enhances the show. You know who you all are. He's talking about himself. That's like <laughs> self praise and no praise, Shifty. Pat in the back. I love it. There I go. love it you got to do it sometimes, you know. Uh, Mark C says, as a Leinster fan who goes to all the games, the only complaint about music in the ground is the absolute nonsense of music as the Leinster players take the field. Now that needs to stop. Somebody's saying it's Tiesto. I don't know. I mean, I. I, I let's get down to business. That was the World Cup one as well, wasn't it? Before
5: every single World Cup match that was played. Give um, it to, to. Do me it. Let's get down. Let's get down to business. Oh, that one. Okay. That Are one, they yeah. doing that one? Was that alright? Right? I don't know the rest of the words. Sorry.
4: Um, I thought they, they, they. Was it not? That's good for the Leinstertainment uh, was there not like, uh, 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 I'm trying to think of the, the, um, the bit that they always used to use the Leinster ones yeah uh, anyway somebody, somebody uh, in the England comments will, know. will let us know um, I, like, literally no one has texted us this morning going I can't believe you're not talking about the yeah. Wolf Tones thing because no one cares no like, no one cares once the Sky, once the Sky interview uh, with Chloe Mustaki happened everyone was like oh hold on yeah, we don't care about this that's, anymore That's finished yeah, so the, the Leinster one.
5: Leinster what, what, does it, what does it
4: mean, Shane? What does it all mean? Yeah. Explain to us now what it means.
5: Leinster apologised very, very, very strongly. I would almost think too strongly. I know they have to because they've seen the example of what's come come before with the women's team. But it was almost like, Jesus, let's get this apology out of the way quickly. I understand why they did it. Of course, they, they want to cover their ass. But, I mean, it's all
4: a bit much, wasn't it? Well, I, I don't care either way. Yeah, no. I, I don't care. I think that most like people's opinion at the moment. The rest of the rest of the world is a complicated, difficult thing and I don't really care about this. Yeah. I didn't care about the women singing the song in the dressing room afterwards. I don't I didn't care about it afterward after like I'm um, I am interested in trying to understand what it means about like the wider national question. Th- but I'm not sure it means anything. No, I think the, con- the conversation needs to
5: disappear. even Nigel Carr, I saw him in being an interview at the Belfast Telegraph did an interview with him off the back of this Leinster thing. I don't know if they were speaking to him anyway, but Nigel, of course, former Ulster player, career ended by a IRA bomb, and he just he was like, "Look, it was unfortunate that it happened at the Leinster match, but like, kind of need need to move on, he, like." And that's Nigel Carr saying this, so yeah. I think that you know the the, the the story needs to end, you know? Yeah, it's just a song played in the PA
4: system. Yeah, I mean, Donald Lennon talks about um they would they would sing the sash on the bus on the way to matches sometimes, like just as a. Like I, I mean, I don't, and I'm sure a lot of people are massively offended by that.
5: Mm. Didn't the Argentinians sing some anti-English Falklands-related songs? Marvina, or, th- yeah, I mean, just happens part of country's culture and songs and tradition. And yeah. does it matter? That's the question. This is the I don't know age-old philosophical right,
4: question. Uh, you now, now the comments. Yeah, if you want to, if you want to get involved in that, uh, right? It is a forty. Carl how are you? Good
7: Hello, morning, lads. To you. Happy New Year. How's it going, Jim? Yourself? Many happy returns. Uh, How's the show going so far? Early start, it's different on good, the 3rd good of
4: January. Good solid 6.5 out of 10, I'd say. Oh, that's good. That's yeah. not bad that's for a yeah. for a 3rd of S- January show. Is that a
7: C? Well, <laughs> I'll take
5: is that, that an old school C? Yeah, take that all day. Oh, I'll take a pass today, yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, I slept less oh, than oh, that's you last night. That's a B. That's a B, yeah, that's a yeah, yeah. yeah. Ah, yeah, we're being harsh on We're being harsh on ourselves. It's only because Colm said you were the same their, age as Daniel Craig. Isn't be, be in college. What? It's only because Colum said you were the same age as Daniel Craig. So if you missed this, Colm's... Col- no, we don't, need to, you don't, we don't need to. Daniel Craig's 54. Is he 54? Colm suggested wow. that to uh, himself in Jeremy.
4: He's, he's Colin Buick's ideal man, though. You should know that. That was the most important part of the whole conversation. Good to
7: know. Good to know. <laughs>
4: Let's move on there, Shane. <laughs> I'm very excited, lads, because... Uh, and I'm actually considering wearing my, my
5: retro Monaghan jersey on air tomorrow because the Dr McKenna Cup is back. Oh, yeah? Tomorrow. Yeah. Monday play oh, down yeah. Castlebelleny tomorrow evening. I know He's we'll get, streaming we'll get to that for 999. I $9. I was tempted to drive from Dublin to Castlebelleny and back tomorrow evening. I don't think I'll do it, but uh, not a real fan, not a real yeah, fan. It'll be 20,000 at a willer? Ah. Uh, maybe 20. No, no, no. It'll be a decent crowd because is a nice little uh, provincial ground.
7: Um I'd I'd love to go up to it. Yeah, there's still a novelty attached to midweek J games. Like, um, Waterford play tip in the Munster Hurling League tonight so it's two new managers, Davy Fitz Ah, and Liam Cahill so I'm sure there'll be a decent crowd at that. For sure. Um, I paid a tenner yesterday to watch Mayo versus Sligo Challenge match. Kevin McStay's first match. Um, 11 point
5: win for Mayo. A tenner?
7: Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, Enjoyed the game (laughs) apart from the result but um, Mayo looked impressive I have to say. they would only, I think, five of their team from the Championship last year so they're trying out a lot of new faces, um, but yeah, it's a lovely time of year for teams coming back. And then you have the thing that I wonder: do these preseason competitions take on a little bit more uh, clout now because the league is coming up so quickly at the end of the month? So colleges like, are gone, well, yeah. Anyway, like I think, that's yeah, a, that was a smart of course Sigerson is going to come back in the Fitzgibbon. Now he's going to come back into the into the reckoning. But it's an awful, it's a really quick turnaround for so many players, mm. um, especially those that are still involved in club action or were involved up up, in, up until early December and some of the clubs are still involved so mm. I think Kerry are only back from their team holiday or something like that there to play in, in Munster uh, fairly shortly this week as well so uh,
4: well, we all know the big story that uh, has been established is that the dubs are lining up Kildare from a month yeah. away to try and beat the shit out of them in Croke Park that's that's your day. official <laughs> story i yeah telling you word on the fine lads what the spread to be 20 points well
5: twenty. Well, if least. what you're hearing is true yeah, at least no, but uh, I'm just, I, I said it just to gee up the Kildare lads and get them.
4: Oh, you think you're like some kind of um, sleeper cell.
5: Are they have you new to press as well? Do you know? That, that, that if there's, there's a lot of interest in Kildare football at the moment. I think Kildare could push the dubs. Yeah, would look, great. If we keep the ball kicked out to them, we'll be happy. Yeah. I'm actually going to watch Division 2 with Ernest, with a lot of eagerness with Derry, Kildare, and Dublin down there. So.
4: Um, news this morning coming through that Siak Khaleesi has confirmed that he is joining Rassing after the World Cup. Um, this is coming from Le Keep this morning Uh, he says he's going to join Racing after the 2023 World Cup and says that it's um, because he met Jackie Lorenzetti it was a lesson in humility he said to me right away when we saw each other I want you to be able to give everything on the pitch that's all he expects from me but it can also support my philanthropy and that means everything to me so he's going to be uh, hooking up with Stuart Lancaster Um, so uh, I mean I love Lancaster, but I hope he doesn't make Rassing really good really quickly. That, he would, be, be. that would be... would He's the Midas touch. It's, uh, it's, um, yeah, unfortunately that might happen. And then there'd be another team for
7: uh, Leinster to worry about, and as well as all those other South African side. And we're still waiting for Johnny Sexton's cheekbone injury. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there were scans to take place yesterday and today, possibly as well. But I mean, just over a month of the Six Nations, <laughs> we're back to that conversation again at number 10. I think he's, he's getting the injury injury out of the way early. I mean, that's the World there's Cup.
4: certainly yeah. you know much um, so uh, That would be that would be great if that was to happen. But there is also the case to be made that he's got to play. He's got to he's got to keep playing. But like, mm. uh, whatever the uh, like, I know the, the way that the blame game happens is like it was all apparently Jack Hardy's fault and Ender McNulty's fault the last time at the World Cup. Nothing to do with the rest of the players and Joe Schmidt and David Newsifora. Certainly, that's how the. The post-event happens. Oh, we weren't very good psychologically. sure, Jack Hardy didn't he have a few bad kicks? Like, oh, yes, that's not that's not what actually what happened. <laughs> so uh, you would hope that this time, whatever uh, preparation they're doing in terms of strength and conditioning, because our fitness is supposed to be one of the things that like gives us a massive advantage and. I don't know, Like, can we not peak in September-October because we're not used to peaking in September-October. If if you're
5: Andy Farrell, are you wrapping him in cotton wool for the six months before the World Cup or are you playing him as much as you can? I'm not playing
4: him him at all in the Six Nations if I'm Andy Farrell, but I'm definitely saying you're going to play every minute for Leinster at the end of the season to make sure that you're still the player we think you are. And then you're going to play at least two full games Mm. in the World Cup warm-ups to make sure that you're still the player you are because at this point, at this stage of your career, the cliff happens overnight. There's going to be a day where you are still really good and then the next day you won't be able to play rugby at the same level anymore because that's how the ageing process seems to work for professional athletes, particularly in a contact sport. So leave
7: them out of Six Nations entirely. Well, like why not? This stage. This is this is a blessing in disguise, right? Do Ireland win the Six Nations without Johnny Sexton? They
4: don't care about winning the Six Nations in the long run, right? Why I, though? I know the IRFU care about winning the Six Nations because they get more money for the prize money and they're a money hungry organization. They've they've always said that, that we need this to be able to finance the game. And I understand the rationale behind that, but I actually think it's a short term thinking when the long term goal of progressing further in the World Cup will completely lift the mood of the the rugby playing nation and will stop us having the inferiority complex that we have if, it- if
5: we go out uh, once more in the World Cup quarterfinals do you not think it would be nice to look back and say oh we had a grand slam the world year this year no it, I mean, nothing that, no? nothing zero in terms of the history books we look back and say it was a great Grand Slam year
7: do you yeah. not think that no. doing well in the Six Nations to carry on the momentum is important aside from titles and loves stuff momentum. like momentum? That? that's a good point but it's, it's, they're months and months and months and months and months and months and months apart like, like, we're talking about the World Cup from it a is the same ago.
4: calendar year yeah uh, like and they're completely separate competitions everybody will have um, an off season the number of injuries that you suffer like
5: do you not think France are targeting the Six Nations massively before the World Cup? England, mean, do you think England are going to target the Six Nations with the new with uh, Steve, uh, Bo- Steve uh, Worthwick? Yeah, I, I mean... So why shouldn't we
4: target it with full gusto and put Sexton in for every game? Because we, we don't have a massive, deep playing pool the way England and France do. And I'm sure the winning culture is the most important thing, but we've just come off a year where we, where we have a winning culture established. Like, yeah, but if, if we
5: lose that winning culture all of a sudden, six months out from the World Cup, you're like, well, you'll forget how, you'll forget how to win pretty quickly. If you if you go, all of a sudden lose two or three Six Nations matches, uh, okay, which one again? a couple
4: of different things. Right, we've 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 gone in with uh, really good Six Nations behind us uh, to the World Cup in France. Um, at that time they stayed in Bordeaux and it was all a shit show. Uh, we've gone in with the disaster the last time and said, "Oh, it's okay. It's you know, it's fine." England have just exploded into us and beaten the crap out of us at home um, when we've got way ahead of ourselves. That was the last World Cup. So we've done we've done everything. We've we've kind of had every type of preparation for a Rugby World Cup, and uh, I don't think it matters. I think all that matters is having your best players playing well by the time the tournament starts in October, really September October. That's what's important. This is this a fear of peaking too early? No, it's a, it's just that they're separate competitions. Like it's the same, it's the same, the same calendar year. Like we we've seen. Uh, we've seen Real Madrid have terrible leagues and win the Champions League we've seen them be beaten by 10-12 points by Barcelona in the league and win the Champions League like they're separate competitions they require a slightly different uh, approach and skill set there's, there's loads of down weeks in the Rugby World Cup where you're playing teams who are vastly inferior to you which, which only happens when you're playing Italy and even Italy now aren't as bad as they were so I don't know and like you've got to win three big games in the World Cup to get to a final we can do that mm. but I'm not sure we can do that with Johnny Sexton playing every game in, in the Six Nations coming back from a cheek injury like would you force him to wear a mask and play a game in one of these I don't think so you can't do that there, there are just some countries who are
5: good tournament nations we are not one of them I even think about the snooker there's some players who are crap for 11 months of the year and they go to the cruise with a 17 day slog and they're brilliant <coughs> the same with it's the reverse for Ireland in the Rugby World Cup always we just need to become a tournament team. You mentioned the down weeks. You have to become a tournament team. Get used to those little games that mean nothing. The World Cup warm-up matches as well. The games against the likes of Georgia or Romania or whoever that you're expected to win. We just It's tournament management. And that's something we haven't done well at all. Now yeah. obviously strength and depth is, is a key part of that as well. But that's something that we need to improve on massively. I don't know if that's a psych- psychological thing. So you,
4: you guys want to win the Grand Slam slash win it a- Six Nations Championship, and you think that that's going to benefit us when the World Cup happens? Can't I, hurt, not, Well, I mean, except if like you go ice strings out and players get injured,
5: and yeah. But as you said, it's six months out. But, uh, well, six months to recover from an injury. I mean, that you, it'd be a very
4: serious injury to keep you out for six months. Uh, hamstring torn off the bone, yeah. and Achilles. You know, a, a, a third or fourth concussion for somebody who is prone to concussions. You know, keep them out of the front line. I think, like, let's let's have this extended squad. Let's have massive competition. So that when the World Cup rolls around, if Sexton is out or if Jameson Gibson Park is out or if, you know, either of our two front rows is out, then we're like, but OK, so we have some strength in depth and we have players who have experience. Those same injuries happen. could happen in the World Cup warm-up they could, yeah, they could. No, you got to live life on your tippy-toes sometimes. But if they happen in the World Cup warm-ups and everybody's played every game, of every every minute of every game in the Six Nations, you've no strength in depth. That's the difference. I'm saying get the strength and depth in and have those players come back and then go okay so Jeremy Lockman's played five games in in the uh, Six Nations that's brilliant like uh, he struggled in three of them but in two of them he came through and now he fully understands what it's supposed to be I think he's called
7: Lukman by the way but we'll get to that another day what else is going on? A few different bits and pieces Uh, football again tonight big game for Arsenal they can go 10 points clear at the top of the Premier League if they beat third place in Newcastle at the Emirates that's the big one of the four games tonight Leicester host Fulham Brighton take on Everton and Manchester United host uh, Bournemouth at Old Trafford Pele's funeral will take place uh, this afternoon there'll be a procession through the streets of Sao Paulo before the three-time World Cup winner is laid to rest in a private family service the final at the PDC World Darts Championship is on tonight Michael van Gerwen bidding for his fourth title he takes on Michael Smith after their respective semi-final win last night in the NFL an American football player is in a critical condition in hospital after collapsing on the field last night Demar Hamlin of Buffalo Bills received CPR during a game against Cincinnati Bengals the 24 year old fell to the ground after colliding with an opponent and the game was subsequently suspended. So we're awaiting further updates there. And we mentioned Gaelic Games that uh, Davy Fitzgerald begins his second stint as Waterford Herding manager tonight. The day should go up against former boss Liam Call as they take on Tipperary in the Munster hurling League and that game throws in at Friar Field at 7 o'clock.
4: Alright, Carl good stuff. Thank Any, what, are your, what are your New Year's mm. resolutions, Carl? Ooh,
7: um, I want to get back uh, from injury to play some golf. I haven't played golf in six months. Um, are, you playing off, are you playing off something low? Are you out of a cast? No, I've got a. hopefully next week, fingers crossed. Right. So um, that's my number one. Um, if you could tap yourself on the shoulder and go back and say something
4: last year about the injury, would you be like, don't play with the broken arm? Yeah. Is that a...
7: Nah, like, I, uh, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't change it. Really? I would have changed the results, obviously, because we didn't do very well, but I, I wouldn't, nah. I would have missed the whole season if I had uh, looked at it at the time that I did. So, and is there any chance you might miss this season? No, you're okay. Like it's. Ah, hopefully, hopefully, I'll know next week. But um, yeah, it's. Uh, no, I want to get back playing a bit of golf. That's that's my right. That's my main goal. You should be in one of those AIB ads, like literally playing with broken hand. Ah, no, no, it's not. It's not that big giving deal. up a promising golf career. Also, hardy Schlego man. Not too late for you to get one of those scholarships to the US, is it? Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm right. I'm definitely the wrong side of twenty. But uh, <laughs> yeah, like I mean, this year Rugby World Cup. Rory McIlroy to win the Masters. Ooh. Uh, I'm hoping Sligo might get to the Connacht final again, into the top 16. Mm. I think Kerry could be in our group. I like Bebo all over again, isn't yeah. it? Get yeah, 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 there. yeah, yeah. So uh, lots to look forward to. All right, well enjoy that. Thanks, Thanks lots. It's 8.53.
4: T B A M is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Now, I'm delighted to talk to Harriet Pryor of the Anfield Rap about the situation at Liverpool. Uh, Harriet, good morning to you. How are you?
1: Good morning. Yeah, I'm not too bad. Thank you.
4: Um, what's going on at the moment at Liverpool?
1: <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was a really bad night. I think the Leicester game kind of covered over the cracks because those two own goals we managed to get the three points, and so it wasn't as much of a spotlight on the on everything that sort of went wrong that night. And then we played Brentford last night, and it was just it was just bad. It was the first ten minutes. I actually thought we started quite strong. I know that the message would have been try and come out of the block strong and, and get a good start. And I actually thought we tr- we did that, and then. After 10 minutes, the intensity just dropped off. The pressing game wasn't there. They were playing through the midfield so easily. There was just every area of the pitch you could point out as not combining, not clicking, not working well. And it it, it meant that, you know, by the time we went over half time we were 2-0 down and the damage had already been done.
4: I think the whole world has so much faith, rightly so, in Jurgen Klopp, that there was just this assumption... That the break for the World Cup would give him the opportunity to work on whatever the issues were at a philosophical level. I'm sure so many of the players were going to be away that you know, working with them was going to be tricky. But that whatever the, the the technical issues were behind the style of play or behind what they're trying to do would have been rectified. But actually what we saw last night was really a continuation of what we'd seen up to the World Cup.
1: Yeah, it was a continuation. And I, I think if you look at some of the preseason games they played, they really tried to work on getting that intensity back because you could literally hear them on the sidelines during those preseason games going, now you push, now you press, now you go. And I've just not seen that continue through to the start of the season because I feel like we, Liverpool's attack used to press straight away as soon as the defence had the ball, win the ball back high up the pitch. That was how they got goals. That was how they poached so many goals. It was keeping that intensity high the whole way through. Now I just see the attacking line standing off a little bit the, the, the midfield sort of out of position, not knowing where to go. And then it gets through to defense so easily. And they're left in situations where the fullbacks are so high up the pitch, the center backs are sort of scrambling back to try and, to try and get hold of the situation. And ultimately that, that ends in us conceding too many goals. So. Those basic things that I I thought we'd come back and rectify after the World Cup break, the pressing, the running, the intensity, those things haven't changed post-World Cup. And then when you're playing any team that puts any pressure on you, like Brentford did last night and they had a good game plan, so credit credit to Brentford, things are going to unravel pretty quickly.
5: Jurgen Klopp's comments post defeat, Harry, tend to be quite interesting at the best of times. Last night, uh, even more so, talking about Brentford stretching the rules. Uh, you know, I think he gave out about the third goal as well and, and how that came about. What do you? What did you make of his reaction to the defeat last night?
1: Yeah, look, I think when people are frustrated and managers are frustrated, you saw it this week with Conte as well. They, they sort of reflect on it in a different light. I think once he's had time. To go back and maybe rewatch the game, he'll. And I don't think he'll shy away from the fact that Liverpool just weren't good enough. I don't think he ever shies away from that fact. But I think there probably was a bit of frustration with the officiating, but probably can't see too much wrong, especially that third goal. I don't think Kanate was fouled. I think he just went down a little bit too easily. But that was sort of reminiscent of, of a lot of the battles, the one on one battles that happened last night, individual players going down a little bit too easily and not winning their battles and not backing each other up. So. I think at the time, he's probably speaking with a lot of frustration. He's a a passionate manager. We know that he's an emotional manager. He can't hide away from that. But yeah, I think once he's had a bit of time to reflect, and he already sort of has reflected on this, Liverpool just simply weren't good enough. And even if a few more results had gone our way, I still don't think we'd have come away from there with the three points.
5: That concession of goals and chances from, from set pieces, I mean, that's particularly concerning at the moment, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it is particularly concerning because you look at us defending from corners and and it looked like the defenders didn't know where they should be last night. And that's a really sort of concerning thing when they're usually such an organised team. And and maybe they lacked that bit of leadership with Henderson out last night. I'm not so sure. But Virgil van Dijk is usually so good at leading that back line and telling all the players where they're meant to be. But there was times where they just looked like they were scrambling. And and all Brentford really had to do was put an extra man in and they had to put an extra man in between the centre-backs and between the full-backs, sort of overload the area. And then, and then our defence didn't know what to do. They didn't know whether to scramble back and mark the man. They didn't know whether to stay in the space. So it was a really simple game plan from Brentford that Liverpool weren't able to deal with well enough whatsoever. And it, and it made the, the defence from set pieces in particular look like a shambles.
4: Um, they had a really strong team out last night, notwithstanding the injuries that they have. They still had, obviously, Van Dijk for the first half. Fabinho is incredibly experienced and was considered one of the best holding midfielders in the world 18 months ago. Tiago, who is supposed to be the glue that binds everything together, started the game. Um, so there's not much to pin hopes on that this is going to turn around quickly. This is going to be a long, hard slog for them to get out of this.
1: Yeah, look, I think there's always sort of been in the last few months this need for a reinvention now. And I, I think a part of that does come from transfers and bringing in fresh faces because it, it forces everyone to up their game. and. We have just brought Cody Gakpo in and obviously that will be hopefully a huge positive in terms of pushing on that forward line and making things gel a bit better there. But there's no doubt that the midfield areas is is in desperate need Excuse me of some reinvention and reinvestment now. So it's not a quick fix. I think there's going to be a process now where they have to look at everything and and have to think, okay, what areas actually need improving? But that midfield area is glaring out to me as it needs just one extra body in there maybe to bring a bit more youth, but also just to bring a bit more control because that's what was missing for me so much last night, but also throughout the season, any sense of control in the midfield area. But yeah, def- definitely a long process. Because I think Klopp's spoken a lot in the past about when you identify a problem, everyone thinks it's a really quick fix. But even if you manage to identify one problem, and, and I think in Liverpool's case, it's probably multiple problems they're trying to deal with at once. It's It's hard to know the exact solution and then the only way you can really practice that is in a game situation, and then it and then it's difficult when confidence is low and when panic sort of sets in and individual mistakes set in as well.
5: You mentioned earlier, Jar, you know, wanting to see the running stats and how they compare to to last season, and that's that's a, a serious point, Harriet, because intensity is our identity is the, is the phrase that you often hear for coming out of Liverpool as well, and that intensity just isn't there at the moment.
1: No, the intensity isn't there. Absolutely, I think I mentioned earlier, sort of the, that pressed was sort of key to how Liverpool set up and how they played, winning that ball back in really dangerous areas and making something out of nothing. So they didn't have to run as far back and have to track back as far. And that meant that the fullbacks, backs Trent Alexander-Robertson, usually at Simakas last night, could stay really high up and they could be attacking the threats and they weren't exposed so much on the counter-attack. But when the ball's not being won back high up the pitch and the fullbacks are still staying so high and the holding the field are still staying high, you get, you're getting exposed far too easily. So that intensity is actually having a real knock on effect straight from attack. And then it's directly impacting the defence because they just can't deal with all the counter attacks that are coming their way when it's only basically those two back there and, and no one else is sort of hanging back. And that defensive high line has worked so well for, for Liverpool for seasons and made them win all the major trophies there is to win. However, when, when there's no one sort of hanging back and, and they are struggling, it, it just doesn't help and the risk versus reward sort of becomes too much of a balance for them to handle. So
4: obviously there's multiple factors here creating a bit of a knock-on. A lot of our commenters are talking about the midfield. Um, somebody says the midfield is either over 30s or early 20s, nobody's in their prime. But Fabinho's only 29 and should should be in his prime. Like he's He's reached a level of expertise and experience where you feel like he should be getting better still you know he's he's adding the level of high high pressure games and massive number of minutes played but his form is has uh, it seems anyway his form is not as good as it should be that's one aspect of it tiago's form is kind of not as good as it should be it feels as well that seems to be impacted by the point you're making about the forwards not being able to press the way they were but what's stopping Oxlade-Chamberlain, Darwin-Nunez and Mo Salah from doing what the forward line would have done when it would have been Firmino, Salah and Mane. Why, why is that different?
1: Yeah, so I think if, first your point about sort of the midfielders and individual performances, I actually don't think any sort of individual... You can't really look at Thiago. I thought Thiago's been quite good in, in the last stage of this, since we come back from the World Cup. I thought Firmino was really good against Aston Villa and it looked like he was getting back to sort of what, one of his best performances. So I don't know if you can necessarily point at individuals. It's just the system isn't really facilitating them so that they can get the best out of them at the moment. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact they don't have the cover in behind. So maybe that is for me you know, just dropping back a little bit further and having that providing that cover so that the others can push forward a bit more. But it, we're, we're sort of lacking that one midfielder who can be that that cover and then also push forward a bit more. It's, it's sort of a difficult role that this, this holding midfielder will have to play, but that's kind of what we're missing at the moment. And then the, the attackers. I- I don't know if there's an element of, of it being a bit of naivety. You know, Salah, Mane and Firmino was such a solid front three. The combinations worked really well. They knew exactly when to go and when to hold back on the press. They they knew instinctively where each other were going to be. And maybe that relationship and the nature of the, the front three now not being, as settled, being a settle, being a lot of change in that front three, maybe that's impacting them. And, you know, Nunes is a, is a new player as well. He won't, he won't know exactly when to press and when not to press at the moment. Salah is still trying and I think can't really say criticize criticised Mo Salah too much when it comes to it but yeah just just not enough running and, and I thought last night they tried to set up a lot more narrow which is what you maybe would have expected from Mane Salah Fumilo in the past they tried to set up quite narrow so that they force the ball they forced them, them to play out wide and they'd try and win the ball back in those areas but then it left Liverpool far to expose so I don't think you can just put it down to them not pressing well obviously that's the first element but they're not going to press well if they don't feel like they've got the covering behind And that's sort of where the whole system needs a little bit of a a rejig and a rethink to think how can we all best work together and not as a forward line, a midfield and a defence. How are we all going to combine to make sure that we're protecting each other and allowing to get the best out of each other? Because at the moment, that's just not clicking.
4: Yeah. And so problems with the forwards, problems with the midfield that are kind of exacerbating each other's problems. And then the defence playing as badly as it is at the moment, it's... It's a kind of perfect storm. Jamie Carragher tweeted last night that he said it reminds him of Wenger's Arsenal going from a powerful and pacey team to a technical one. In the end, Wenger's Arsenal that were um, technical did reach a Champions League final and but for a sending off might have beaten Barcelona. The powerful and pacey one was the one that was uh, sweeping all before them. It's obviously a completely different era. It's not to say that they can't be successful, Liverpool, in the future, um under Klopp but what what do you think needs to happen do do they need reinforcements now or is this uh, batten down the hatches get to the end of the season and reshape the squad structurally significantly in the summer
1: yeah, and although I've been quite negative, I actually do agree I, I don't I don't think we're a million miles off where we need to be, but at, at the moment the performances just haven't been good enough. But when I say we're not a million miles off, that's just because I think all, all that would really need to happen in the short term at least in, in January is to bring in another midfielder. I think one midfielder now would would solve a lot of problems if they were the right person, which is obviously the sticking point because who exactly do you bring in to the midfield in a January transfer window when a lot of clubs aren't keen to let their players go? I genuinely do think that that would help so much because the the midfield are just being overworked. They're being played through far too easily. And and I I think that a lack of confidence is just really breeding a lack of confidence at the moment. So once those results start coming, I I do have more confidence that things will start clicking in place a bit more because they won't panic so much in individual situations. You won't see them sort of scrambling, giving the ball away cheaply. So I don't I don't think it's like a huge long process where this is going to go on for months and months and months. I think there is little fixes that can be made that will make a big difference, but the, the biggest one for me has to be a midfielder coming in in January.
5: You, you touched on on that there. I mean, the the individual mistakes because we often when Liverpool lose a game like like last night the performance is so shambolic. We talk about the macro things, the system and and decisions that Klopp maybe could have made differently. But you see you see the ball that Simicas, you know, inexplicably puts across the box at one point in the first half. Um, from Allison's kick out, Harvey Elliott hopping over the ball, and it leads to Brentford's second goal. Sometimes with this Liverpool team, it's just individual errors, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and, and those things, I guess, you can't always iron out. There's always going to be individual errors. However, I think when it's a lack of confidence that's starting to set in, you do panic a bit more in those individual situations, and you just sort of you don't look forward as much either. I think Liverpool used to be so good at getting the ball, looking straight forward, playing the forward pass, and now because there is a little bit of, of OK, what should I do? I don't want to do anything wrong individually, so I'm just going to do the easy thing. And sometimes that actually leads, ironically, to, to a bigger mistake and, and us conceding a chance or even worse, a goal. So those individual areas have to be ironed out. And and sometimes, you know, p- pinning the blame on sort of a, a young Harvey Elliott isn't fair. And that's why I, I do think that a bit more experience, sort of... Someone, it's hard, I don't remember what I'm saying, but someone a bit more experienced, but also not old, as some of our other midfielders is key. But yeah, those individual errors are definitely doing Liverpool a disservice on the whole. And, and those things, I think, are just coming from a, a sense of panic and not wanting to do anything wrong when results and performances haven't been going as well as they should have been.
5: Darwin Nunez took his goal very, very well, uh, Harriet, albeit it was disallowed. So uh, unfortunately for him, the search for, for hitting the onion bag goes on. But... He's not really a problem. Do you, do you feel he's going to come good, Darwin Nunez? He's he's clearly getting into the right positions.
1: Yeah, I don't really have any concerns about Darwin Nunez because I think that he's he's trying really hard and. I think you saw as well in that um, in, the, in the games that he's played that he's always in the right positions, like you just mentioned. He's always getting into the right areas. He's always finding the pockets of space. It's just sort of the finishing. But we saw that in the first half of the season actually go really well. He was finishing really good chances and some difficult chances as well. So I'm not too particularly concerned about that. And I do think once he starts to find the net, then he'll just sort of open the floodgates and he'll, he'll be prolific. But yeah, I'm, I'm not actually concerned on the whole about him. And I think especially with Cody Gakpo coming in and allowing Nunes to sort play through the middle in his, in his best position and maybe interchange with him a little bit more that that, that relationship might work well and he just needs to be able to combine with Salah a bit more and then again that's a system thing with Salah seeming to be dragged quite far out wide in quite a few games before the World Cup and not not sort of getting into the game and being able to combine with Nunes but on a whole as an individual I'm not He's not sort of where where my concern and worry is going at the moment.
4: The speculation about Jude Bellingham obviously is going to continue as long as he is at uh, Dortmund until he signs somewhere. Uh, There is relatively strong links this morning with Nunez from Wolves. and We've seen him linked with Tielemans in the past. Is there anybody else that you're hearing Liverpool be linked with in the midfield area?
1: Um, not really at the moment. There was quite strong links with Enzo Fernandez, but now that seems like he, he might be ending up at Chelsea. There was Amrabat as well. He played for Morocco in the World Cup. They were two players that, that I've heard us linked with. And, and also Caicedo from Brighton, who for me would be a good option because he has that Premier League experience. I think we could really benefit with someone sort of ready made now who's had the Premier League experience and could come in and just slot in straight away and do a job. So. Yeah, a few players there, but obviously the one that keeps on sticking is, is the Bellingham link, which is just not not for me going to happen in January.
5: Harriet, great stuff as always. Thanks, William, for joining us. Thank you. Harriet Pry, of course, of uh, the Anfield Wrap. o 2 B M at 9.09 AM on this, the 3rd of January. Just starting to get used to the days of the week and what day it is. And the year. It's, yeah, and the year. It's Tuesday and it's 2023. Thank you. OTB, I'm brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Here's what we've got on OTB Sports Radio coming up across the rest of today. From 1 o'clock, it is OTB Gold with Ronnie Delaney, the Olympics legend. 3pm, it's Dadcast. From 4 o'clock, we have a career retrospective with the former Irish international striker <clears throat> Stephen Elliott. 6pm, OTB Gold, Jerry Eisenberg on Ali. And of course, from 7pm, the usual OTB live with Joe Molloy in the hot seat. You can follow OTB across all our social channels and subscribe to the OTB podcast network for all the best in the latest sports content. Up next darts. The referee Jack Langston is on the line ahead of tonight's World Darts Championship final between Michael Van Gerwen and Michael Smith. First though, here's more on Pele. John Giles joined us over Christmas to pay tribute to the iconic Brazilian. And John, desperately sad news, and it's hard to really comprehend a world without Pele, because
6: many, for many people, for so long, he was the very embodiment of football. What did you, what were your impressions of Pele down through the years, and, and, and where does he rank for you in terms of the world's greats? Well,
2: <clears throat> sad to hear the news, uh, Richie. Uh, I don't think there's anybody better than him. Let's put it that way. Yeah. He was as good as any... What I found were all the great players, Richie. None of them are the same. You know, if you look at Messi today, you look at Ronaldo, uh, you know, all these great players over the years, none of them are similar. They all have their own individual greatness. And Pele certainly had that. He was... He was I mean, he was in my time. Uh, yeah. Well, I never played against him, but, I, but I, I, I'll tell you a story. I met him one time. But, uh, you know, he was only 17 when he played in the World Cup and won it. I think he won it three times. Yeah. And he was brilliant. I mean, he wasn't a very big fella, but his head was brilliant. I mean, he was a real striker, you know. He was beautifully balanced, great head of the ball, great shot of the in both feet. And a really, I think, a really first-class uh, individual team player.
5: OTB AM. 12 minutes past nine on this Tuesday morning's OTB AM. Time to touch on the darts now, of course. The PDC World Darts Championship Final taking place tonight at Alexander Palace in London. We have Michael Van Gerwen against Michael Smith. Delighted to say, at the darts referee. Jack Langston joins us on the line this morning again. Morning, Jack. How are things Morning, yeah, all great, thank you. How are you? Keeping well. We might we might get to the uh, the semi-finals from last night in just a minute, but I did want to touch on the Garwin Price. Uh, I don't know if you know, what to call it controversy with the ear defenders the
8: other day, but I mean, have you ever seen the likes of this in in darts? No, I mean we've we've seen the small little in ear plugs that have been used a few times by players, but yeah, not 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 the full the 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 full big ear defenders. That was that was odd. Yeah, <laughs> very weird. Can you understand from Garwin Price's perspective? Why he
5: did it? I mean, I, I haven't been in the crowd in Ali Pally, but from what I hear, there can be some individual chance and, and little things called out that maybe gets to certain players more than others.
8: Yeah, so I've I've, um, I've I put a tweet out uh, yesterday, just seeing if there was anyone who followed me who'd gone to the darts, and I think a lot a lot of people they watch the darts on TV, and obviously we're listening to uh, sort of like a slightly edited, slightly like improved products to what to what they're seeing in 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 real life and from from what i've heard a lot of people seem to think that the audience is muted muted a little bit on tv so it's actually a lot worse in the venue than it is for us sat at home watching the darts so yeah i mean if going price is getting a load of abuse and stuff and he wants to stick some headphones on yeah I, I i don't know if the big ones was was the way forward and then to sort of like um joke about with the crowd straight after but yeah, i i I do think he does get quite a bit of stick and stuff and maybe it does it does get to him a bit bit too much so I can understand why he's done it yeah is he particularly prone to the
5: abuse because of I guess his celebrations he gives it the large one after after some big legs
8: yeah it's 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 very pantomime-y, I think um but i I do think sometimes it, it just it just gets him a li- a little bit more than than some other players and stuff um but yeah it, it, it all started all started a few years ago when he had a bit of argy-bargy on stage with Gary Anderson and si- since then he's kind of been the, the a bit a bit of the bad boy of darts and yeah he he's been put into a pantomime situation and he does get he he is the person who gets the most the most stick from the crowd so yeah it's i think i think everyone's got a limit and it's he's he's certainly starting to hit hit his now i guess the positive slant from it for the PDC and for darts
5: organizers is it gets people not interested in darts talking about darts because you see it in snooker as well when Ronnie O'Sullivan has a moment or Jimmy White has, a, has an argument with a referee. All of a sudden, people outside the sport are talking about it and they're going, "Did you see Price and his and his ear defenders the other day?" So, from that perspective, at least it drums up a little bit of interest.
8: Yeah, I, yeah, I definitely think it's good for it's good for t- uh, talking points, but I I don't think I don't think Price likes it now. I think he's got to a point now where he's kind of he's kind of um, going to have to make a decision at some point how he goes forward with this because um, it's not going to go away that's the problem unless he's, unless something really drastic changes it's not going to go away it's only going to get worse so I, I don't know how he fixes it I don't know how the PEC are going to deal with it in the future but I, I just can't see it getting any better it's only going to get worse and worse from here He's talking
5: Garen Price or he certainly did that night after the match uh, and the 5-1 and the defeat but never going back to the, to the World Championships again I mean this is all Talk and bluster, isn't it? This is what. This is what. Sorry, it's all talk from his perspective. I mean, surely he's going to come back to the World Championships. He's not going to. I'd imagine his Instagram post was quite reactive.
8: Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I hope so. I mean, I, I'm I'm a big fan of Go and Price. I've always liked Go and Price, and I think I think the antics and stuff is really is really good. It's really good for the sport but it's obviously starting to take take a bit take a, a bit of a toll on him but i i would imagine he's going to be coming back and he's going to be playing playing regularly still and cuz he po- he posted about never playing the world championships again and um i i don't think that's going to happen but uh, i'm not him so i can't really can't really say but i i hope he comes back and can continues playing yeah definitely
5: we might touch on last night's semi-finals uh, for a moment, Jack, because, I mean, they were fairly one-sided affairs. Uh, the first one, a little bit closer, uh, had gone 2-all, and, and Gabriel Clemens looked like putting up a bit of a fight against Michael Smith, but in the end it was a 6-2 win for Smith, fairly comfortable. And you look at Smith's stats, five tonne-plus checkouts, 19-180s, uh, a pretty dominant performance for Michael Smith, and, and something for Van Gerwin to maybe think about ahead of tonight.
8: Yeah, I thought I thought the first game was really good. Um, Clemens, he, he had, he had a chance to go three sets all and then it, and then it was a break of throw and he went four, four, two down. And then from there, it just, it just kind of snowballed. I think, Van, I think, um, Smith hit two, two 11 darts in the next set. He he was just on fire. He, he played really well. I'm 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 really happy he's he's played well towards the end of the tournament because he's played all right this tournament. He's he's not been anything particularly amazing or special. He's just been fairly steady and he's beaten beaten whoever's in front of him so far. But for him to go into the final now in some pretty good form off off the back of a really good semi final win against Van Gerwen. Is it kind of makes the makes the final a little, little bit more interesting. If 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 Michael Smith had won last night with a with a ninety ninety one, ninety two average and sort of won like six four or something or six five, um, I'd I'd be a bit worried that tonight was going to be a complete blowout and it would just be seven one, seven two Van Gogh and then it's gonna last maybe an hour and a hour and a half. But yeah, I thought he played really well last night. I'm looking forward to tonight, and then Van Goghen, like I said last time, Van Gogh does Van Gogh things. And um, he, he's just so good. He's such a good dart player. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to tonight's final. It should be really, really, really fun.
5: Is there anything to be said for the fact that Smith has been in this position a couple of times before? It's not his first final. He's been there twice. He's not going to get overawed by the occasion because of that experience from before. And, and look, he's got his PDC win under his belt as well. So from that perspective, is Michael Smith, do you think, in a different
8: headspace than he was in the previous uh, two finals which he lost? yeah I think so. I mean, the last time he was in the world final, other than half an hour's worth of unbelievable darts from Peter Wright, he probably should have won his last one um, this time i think i think I think Van Gogh is playing playing a little bit better uh than Peter Wright did the last time, so it's going to be even more difficult for him um but yeah i think I think there's a chance i think I think he's going into this game a little bit more experienced than, than he did the last time he's got that major win as well, which is a big deal for him as well. He's always been someone who's just kind of fell short of that at, at the final hurdle. And, um, he, he again, he gets a lot of stick for that online as well. Um, so for him to finally win his his first like proper major title. And now he's in the final of another one, uh, almost straight after. Yeah. yeah I think he's got a chance. I think, I think he's going to be, he's going to be, uh, in, in the right sort of headspace. He's going to be focused. He's not going to let this, the, the situation get too much. Too much control of him, but i yeah I'm looking forward to it i I think he does well. I don't think he wins, but i I, I think it's going to be a good game van
5: Gowin's stats i mean you, you mentioned how how impressive he's been in this tournament uh, already, and I mean his quarterfinal and semi final performances were just uh, to say they were impressive will be saying uh, putting it lightly, but one hundred and eight point two eight average in that semi final last night over fifty percent double success which is which is where you need to be really to win world championships, and Van Gerwen has three of them in the bag already. He's going to be so so hard to beat if he performs anywhere close to how he's how he's done in the last couple of matches.
8: Yeah, he's going to be—he's as close and near impossible to beat at the moment as anyone. Uh, One hundred and eight, hundred nine averages. Like, it's, you just—you have to play unbelievably well for like an hour and a half just to have a chance to beat him. Or just have a chance to sort of go level with him because he's just so good. Um, uh, yeah, I, 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 I do think Van Gogh wins tonight. He was, he was my pick at the start of the tournament. We're, are at the final now. Two players left. He's still my pick. I, ju- I just hope, I just hope the game's competitive. I hope both players play well, and I hope we get fireworks all, all the way through the game. And it's just, I just hope it's a close game. If it finishes seven one, seven 0 something like that, I'm going to be a little bit disappointed. But we'll see, we'll see. And uh, the way.
5: Van Gaeren's talking after the match last night when he's asked, you know, can Michael Smith stop you? Uh, and his response: he's he's not going to stop me. No one's going to stop me. Like it's quite enjoyable to see a Michael Van Gaeren with this with this confidence. Nothing new, I suppose.
8: Yeah, I mean, he's he's kind of he's he's had a couple of years now where he's not the world number one. He's not the most talked about dart player in the world. And um, I think I think he doesn't like it. Well, he definitely doesn't like not not being world number one. Um, so yeah, I think he's he's come here and he's he's gonna he's gonna try his best to make a real statement tonight. And um, <clears throat> yeah, get get his name back up there. If he wins tonight as well, he becomes world number one. If Michael Smith wins tonight, he also becomes world world number one as well. So they're, they're both playing for playing for title of the best player in the world plus world champion plus loads and loads of bragging rights and stuff. And yeah, it's. It's going to be a really, really, really good game of arts, hopefully. Um, the, standards, the standards are going to be high. I, I, I can guarantee Van Gogh is going to play well tonight. So hopefully Michael Smith does the same. Um, and yeah, they're playing for a lot. It means a lot. And a half a million pounds as well. That's not not a small amount of money. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It should be good. Yeah, the prize money is not bad whatsoever.
5: Uh, I'm a really big fan of Dimitri Vandenberg and, and, and the... I guess the atmosphere he drums up when he's coming on and the dancing he does and all, and all the rest. There was a moment during the match with with Van Gerwen yesterday where he turns around in the middle of his uh in the middle of one of his uh, throws and is really really not happy with Van Gerwen, it appears encroaching on his uh, on his space. Is that something that that you expected to see with with Vandenberg because Van Gerwen reacted a little bit and kind of told him where to go.
8: Yeah, I think I think I think Van, Vandenberg he he does he does wear his heart on his sleeve. Um I think if if he, if his issue Van Gogh said it in a, in an interview after that apparently his issue was not the encroachment into the inclu- inclusion zone, but it was more that he thought that Michael was stamping while he was walking around the stage. Mm. Um, so, well, either way, whether whether the issue was was him getting too close to him while he's throwing or it was that he was stamping and stuff, he should have brought something up to, to the referees and they, they should have had a word and it didn't really look like, certainly not on stage anyway, it might have, might have happened behind, behind the stages, um, but it certainly didn't look like that was the case. So I think... I think if, if you've got an issue with, with your opponent in such an important game like that, semi final, of the world championships, you've, you've got to stop the game. You've got to speak to the referee. You've got to try and, try and have at least, at least your own peace of mind that Van Gogh has been, been spoken to about it. But I I don't know. I I wasn't there. So I, I don't, I don't know what happened. Um, but yeah, you've, you've got to, you've got to kind of stand up for yourself a little bit there and, and, and say something. Yeah. It's a dangerous thing though Jack isn't it to do against
5: Van Gerwen because sometimes if you if you GM him up or get involved in a bit of verbals it can have the opposite effect like s- straight away after that uh, discussion with Vandenberg I think he hits a 170 checkout and it's like there you go I'm I'm having some of that so Van Gerwen is a, is a dangerous dangerous
8: man to rive, to rile up Yeah definitely yeah yeah, I mean the the 170 was 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 really nice, but at the, at the end of the day, I think he won. I think he only won four legs last night. I think it was 18 four in legs last night. Van Gaal was just far too good, and Dimitri just he just didn't look like he was ever in the game really. He he kind of once once that 170 went in, he kind of thought, okay, here we go, and it just never really happened for him. Finally,
5: Jack, uh, if Van Gaal wins tonight, which uh, which
8: looks the, the likely
5: result based on form, where does he rank in terms of the all-time greats? Because you look at the likes of Phil Taylor and and all the greats over the years, Bristol included. He's up there now. You'd imagine if he gets a fourth world title.
8: Yeah, yeah, he's he's been uh, as far as as far as greatest of all time. He's been my number two for probably a couple of years now. Right. Um, and if he wins tonight or loses tonight, he's he's, he's going to stay number two. I feel like I feel like in this day and age, obviously Phil had sixteen world titles. Um, and I don't think sixteen world titles today in today's game is is possible at all. But I think I, th- I think Van Gogh needs to. He needs at least eight. He needs at least eight, in my opinion, to get to to that sort of potentially having a real good argument that he's he's the greatest of all time. Um, but yeah, four tonight potentially halfway there. I think I, I think there's a chance that maybe in 15, 10, 15 years we might be talking about, uh, talking about him genuinely being the best of all time. Some people do now. I personally don't. I've still got Phil Taylor as, as, as my goat. But yeah, I think if he keeps doing what he's doing, he keeps keeps winning winning how he is and how he has done this year. There's definitely an argument for it, 100%. Jack, great stuff. Enjoy the match tonight. Thanks a million.
5: Thank you very much. Cheers. Jack Langston there the, at the Dutch referee. Yeah.
4: All right. <clears throat> 25 minutes past nine this morning. Uh, you're watching OTBIM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Um, a quick tweet here from uh, Gary Neville. Are Chelsea paying 127 million euros for Enzo Fernandez? That's one hell of a price. A very good player, but bloody hell. It does seem as if. The Enzo Fernandez to Chelsea is very close to being a done deal on the third of January, twenty twenty-three. Phil Egan's with us. Phil, good morning to you. more morning, lads. Happy how you doing? New Year. Happy New Year. Yeah, Gary Neville's a bit right here, isn't it? He? It's a lot of a lot, a lot of money.
9: Yeah, but, but they are making a habit of this of getting some good returns for small investments that they've made. Obviously, they they cashed in on Darwin Nunes very quickly, and this is even quicker. And look, people would have heard of. Hernandez before the the World Cup, but obviously he announced himself on the world stage. Then when he when he came on and, and scored that great goal against Mexico, and then he was an a ever present in a World Cup winning team. So that is going to add to your value. But yeah, there's a lot of really good midfielders out there. But that is a, a serious price tag.
5: That was your point, wasn't it? With Rashford, like after a after a major tournament, if a player does well, you should probably cash in. Benfica are the perfect example hmm. of, of a club that does that year in year out.
9: Yeah, and there they are. They're still in the the last 16 of the Champions League. They just, this is the way they're, they're built, obviously. Joe Felix was was there as well. They they, they cashed in on him. And, and look what's happened to him since he left. It, it doesn't, you know, you take a risk with with such a, a big price tag. But Chelsea, it was just interesting, actually. Keith Tracy was part of the commentary team at Nathan the other day for the, the Forest-Chelsea game, and I'd have to kind of agree With what he was saying, that I don't think Graham Potter will be the manager that gets the best out of Enzo Fernandez because I don't think he's going to be there that long.
4: Well, uh, I mean, that's uh, a. Maybe he could get the best out of him. What What is the best out of him? What What is the ceiling here for Enzo Fernandez? So, just to to clarify, right? They're going to pay 112 million sterling. It's the first ever Premier League deal over 100 million for a single player. They're paying six million over the release clause. So they can pay in installments, which is silly. I mean, you still have to pay the money, right? You still—it's just like you're amortizing it over a uh, yeah, but you know, it's, longer period of time. It's, uh, it's easier. Yeah.
9: <laughs> As somebody who likes a direct debit, <laughs> yeah, I can tell you, it's a—it's a lot easier to do it that way. Um, but they're getting a, a really good player, and it, it's how—how how does he cope with how quickly things have moved? How he's gone from being. In this Benfica team, people starting to talk about him. Then going to a World Cup, winning a World Cup. Now this massive price tag, and going to new surroundings as well, and going to a new league. What and type of player is he? He's just an all-round bloody good player in terms of you know his technical ability, ability in tight spaces. He has. We have obviously reference his goal against Mexico. He has the ability. To score good goals as well, so and what we've seen as well, I know you were talking about Liverpool earlier, where for a good player or a good midfield player in the Premier League, you have to be dynamic, and he has all those attributes. So uh, because I think people, were, if you were looking at Liverpool last night, you'd say they just lack any energy or legs, whereas that's something he doesn't lack in that department, and. Yeah, like Chelsea have good midfielders anyway. I I N'Golo Kanté they want to tie down a new contract. Exceptional player but has become more injury prone yeah, over the last couple of 31. years. Yeah. You know, you know I'm a big fan of Kovacic, his technical ability. Jorginho maybe he's one that they move on now and um, he has you know, it took him a while to be accepted by Chelsea fans because when he came in he was he was um you know, just seen as somebody that came from Napoli he was part of the package, wasn't he? Mm. Um,
5: Liverpool had been had been linked with Enzo Fernandes and hmm. Jamie Carragher's kind of talking after the match last night that they have no chance of top four without a new midfielder. Yeah, I'd like, agree, yeah. Who, who like, Matheus Nunez is rumoured, Bellingham's name God, like, Nunez can't
9: up. sign in January, though. There's the point. Because he would have played for three clubs in a year. Yeah. So they are absolute shambles in terms of what they're trying to do where they've signed, and look, this is all stuff that Jamie Carragher said, that they've only sign Thiago is the only permanent signing they've made in midfield in the last four and a half years. Well, they've put a crazy. lot of faith
4: in the kids. That's the other thing they've done. They've given game time to the kids, and it, they haven't proven to be Premier League winning talent just yet. No,
9: and, and it's they, a lot to put on kids. Yeah, they the well,
4: kids. They might well turn out to be <laughs> really good kids. players at 25, 26, 27 But at the moment, they're being asked to behave and perform like twenty six year olds who have, you know, three hundred games. Uh, Fernandez has played a hundred and eight senior club appearances yeah that isn't like their appearances so you know the first 10 or 15 of those might have been like off the bench and um, he's going into a team with Chelsea
9: Chelsea's a big issue with scoring goals in terms of they've got some really good attacking players but I even felt under Tuchel that they didn't have that cohesive the team of you know, Werner that was the, a flop right that they, that they had and Yeah. Grand Potter doesn't want a Bamiang there. The he wants, you know, that he's inherited that that squad. But he look, he's inherited some really good players. And midfield, I think, is one area that Chelsea are good. So I think for somebody like Enzo Fernandez, it's easier for him to settle into that team than is if he came into Liverpool. Liverpool seem to be talking about. It it seems to all be on Jude Bellingham. Honestly, i I think Liverpool need three midfielders. I think I don't know. I'd be interested to hear. Liverpool fans' thoughts on would they rather three new midfielders or Jude Bellingham? Uh, ideally they'd want Jude Bellingham plus two midfielders but <laughs> it doesn't look like that's going to happen. Complete so if it was an either percent. or. Like yeah. they're, they're so short in midfield. They have absolutely no legs in there. Yeah. So when I saw that team last night having watched the Leicester game like that result at Brentford last night that is not a shock. No, Brentford did the exact same thing for them last season and that would be my concern as well for like as good a job amazing a job as Klopp has done how was he not prepared for what
4: was coming last night um, to go back to Enzo Fernandez, where will he play is he is he a 6 is he an 8 is he a 3 at midfield is he like can you play him as part of a 2 is he, is he yeah, available in all of those part,
9: yeah it depends what Potter wants to do uh, Chelsea have changed between 3 at the back if they go four, but yeah, he can play in any of those roles. As I said he's comfortable in advanced areas. You know, he's he's um, good enough at closing down opposition players as well. So I wouldn't ever worry about him in any position. He's, he could pl- be a playmaker in terms of a deep role playmaker, which I mentioned, Jorginho as well. So, yeah, I, I think obviously as well if you're paying that much money for a player you'd be hoping that he could play anywhere in midfield yeah,
4: yeah. I mean, it's mad because like, I don't think anybody thinks Chelsea are going to be in the top four or well, certainly right like uh, now you not minute, in no. the conversation at the no. moment it's no. like is, is this uh, I mean one player in January it's early January in fairness if they manage to get this done right now he'll have plenty of time to make an impact obviously the season is Um, much earlier there's still loads more games than there is like is is this a big enough signing for them to to be back in the top four conversation on the back of this one signing I mean possibly but again I I think it's a lot of money if he isn't
9: yeah well thing is Chelsea have shown in the past that missing out in Champions League football isn't a big deal for them I know look there's there's new ownership in there but what we've seen since they've come in already is that money isn't
4: an issue there's still I, I do have to say though that like This is the stereotypical new owner who doesn't understand football mistake where a kid has an incredible World Cup and you're like, I want that. Give it to me now. Give it to me now. We can play him and uh, 11 other players. It's going to be great. This just has the hallmarks of Todd Bowley going, I've got all this money in my pockets. They're bulging. I'm going to, I'm going to spend. It's 112. I'll give you 118.
9: But I, I, look, I think regardless of, How this signing works out, they still have a really good squad and if they can get themselves a good front player, we're led to believe Nkunku is going to be the the guy that they bring in. So Chelsea are always going to attract good players because they pay big money. As I said, I don't know how, it'll be interesting, you mentioned Champions League, if Graeme Potter doesn't get Champions League, is that the end then? Is that it? But Bowley loves Potter.
4: Uh, yeah, and they, they seem to. Well, I mean, they can obviously afford to sack him if they if they mm. find somebody better. But like he
9: might love him. But if they're missing out in Champions League football and Chelsea are getting booed off every week, then Bowley is going to have to do something about it.
4: One last thing: um, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo is going to be unveiled at uh, at Nasser today. Their Instagram following has exploded. Obviously, uh, since his arrival, he's obviously chased the money and good luck to him. But apparently there's a clause, I've only seen this once on Twitter, I have not sat this one. up. There is a clause <laughs> that says if Newcastle qualify for the Champions League, he's going to be able to join them on loan. I mean, Oops. makes sense. Well, uh, we're, we're in that zone where you can literally make up anything about uh, Saudi Arabia and football and Ronaldo. And people will be like, well, I suppose. I public could investment fund money. Yeah. Would it make any sense for Newcastle at all? Absolutely
9: zero like, sense. I mean...
4: Doesn't mean they won't do it. No, do you know what? Or or they'll be forced to do it. Yeah. But see,
9: Newcastle have actually got good football people in place now. Mm. And this is where maybe they're not going to make the mistakes that you think. Because when you see that they had all this money, you think, who's going to be a manager of Newcastle in a few years? Classic mistake would be bring in someone like Jose Mourinho, which would be not good. Yeah. Uh, Classic mistake would be, oh, yeah, let's bring in Ronaldo we're in the champions league. Yep. How like what better way to announce we're back in the champions league by bringing in
4: Cristiano Ronaldo or to make them globally famous. You know there's uh, that's there's definitely part of the the deal with Ronaldo. It's not about football at all. It's about the the power of the brand and I think Newcastle are doing like
9: up. Newcastle are ahead of schedule and like they've a big game tonight where they could actually go up to second place and yeah. they've only lost once this season and that was deep in injury time against Liverpool. So I think tonight will be a real good indication of of where they are, but they definitely are a a lot further ahead of schedule because, look, they're not going anywhere. And I think the difference with them and Manchester City is they have a bigger fan base than, than City did when... City started
4: getting the, the big money in. Not so outrageous now to suggest that uh, Newcastle United might finish ahead of Manchester United. Oh, there you go. Not so outrageous, is it? No, <laughs> not, no one's laughing on the other side of the glass there, Colin Buick. Uh, good stuff, Phil. Thanks William, million for joining us at very short notice this morning to um, break down the news that it looks like we're going to see a new Premier League transfer record. 127 million euros, 113 million sterling it's insanity, really. But um, Enzo Fernandez is going to be the uh, most highly thought of slash pressurized twenty-one-year-old. And I mean, how do you how do you come down from winning the World Cup and then go, okay, yeah, I can I can deal with all this. Either that, or he's going to be the greatest footballer of all time. Like, who knows? Uh, f- price tags don't matter a for range of outcomes is it. on the
9: table here it's all monopoly money and it's never brought up as well price
4: tags exactly we're back tomorrow morning with NFL analyst Mike Carlson who will update us on the horrific scenes last night concerning the Buffalo Bills Damar Hamlin elsewhere Keith Wood will join us for the first time this year Jess Kelly will be getting your gaming thinking cap on for the January sales we'll have all the reaction to the final of the World Darts Championship alongside three time BDO World Darts Champion Glenn Durant plus much more besides
3: OTB.